Today, in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. And Leanne is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, a Tipperary man is facing jail if he doesn't uh, demolish his log cabin on his property. Finn the Grail is calling for a yes-yes vote in the upcoming referendums. As you know, we'll be uh, hearing from one of their senators. We'll have uh, financial advice from Francis O'Hanlon. We have Global News with Thomas Conway. And uh, our Women in Business slot today features a great friend of the show, Muriel Cuddy. And she'll talk to her to us uh, about her trials and difficulties and triumphs, I suppose, in uh, business. So we're looking forward to, to that. And uh, our gentlemen listeners... Uh, will give us some more reaction to claims that they are the new minority group, the whole business of being pale, male and stale and all of that. You can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can uh, email tiptoday at tipfm.com and of course we're always delighted to hear from you. Now let's have a look at what's making uh, headlines in uh, some of your newspapers today. The Irish Independent, their lead story, the government is considering banning broadband and mobile phone service providers from using a model where they impose price rises linked to the rate of inflation. Inflation. The Irish Examiner and their main story is a rather sobering one indeed because a man in his 20s yesterday became the 35th person to die on the road so far this year following a crash in Cork, one of several serious accidents on the roads yesterday. And also on the Examiner today, Gardaí have launched a probe into the death of a man in his 80s in Castle Maine County Kerry yesterday, who was understood to have suffered gunshot wounds. The Irish Times, and they're leading with the story that RTE should in future be subjected to new financial controls as well as a greater oversight around contracts and big exit packages, a new report from the Doyle. Uh, the Dawes' most powerful committee is set to recommend, of course, the powerful committee in question there is PAC, the uh, Public Accounts Committee. Uh, also on the Times today, coroners uh, have reviewed a call for a common prescription medicine to be classified as a controlled drug after a study showed that it was detected in one out of every 16 post-mortem toxicology results and uh, the um, a drug in question is known as the coffin tablet, uh, pregabalin, I think is the pronunciation of that. Um, also on the uh, Daily Mail, and uh, it's another RT story, and again the government is uh, facing another week of chaos and uh, infighting over an RTE crisis that appears to be escalating as the focus uh, shifts to the Media Minister Catherine Martin and Director General Kevin Backhurst. So a lot uh, to come where that is concerned. If you want to make comment on any of that, 
083-311-3311. Now, uh, three in five voters intend to support the upcoming referendums, according uh, to the latest poll on March 8. Voters will be asked uh, if the reference in the Constitution to a mother's duties in the home should be replaced with a new article recognising the role of family carers and if the definition of family should be extended beyond one based on marriage. Now, Red Sea poll in yesterday's business post shows about 20% intend to vote no, while another fifth are rather undecided now, as you're well aware, Finn Gael is calling for a yes-yes vote. And uh, to explain why, I'm glad to be joined by Senator Mary Siri Carney. Senator, good morning to you. Good morning. You're very good to have me. Thank you very much. You're very welcome indeed. Uh, we were speaking to uh, Senator Michael McDool last week and he set out his stall. Would you just set out your stall for me, Senator? Why are you advocating oh. a yes-yes vote? All right. Well, well first of all, let's, let's take them separately. Yes. Um, the, the, the family referendum, which is the one whereby uh, we're asking people to change the definition of family in the Constitution. So every day, uh, you know, in our in our lives, we know families, we are those families that are not based on marriage. So that can be a parent rearing the, their children on their own. Uh, it can be a couple who are cohabiting with their children or without their children. But we all recognise them in our own families as being families. We recognise them, you know, amongst our friends as families. But the Constitution doesn't recognise them as a family. The Constitution only recognises a married couple with a child or children as being a family. And that is problematic if people need to have uh, privacy rights. You know, over the years, there have been the sort of things that have been litigated has been Mrs. McGee, who wanted, uh, famously wanted uh, contraception within her marriage because of, of a, a, a health issue. And there have been so family planning decisions, parents making decisions around education of their children, those sort of things that are being undermined or, or interfered with in those particular family circumstances. And those families have to litigate to the courts and say, but we're a family. We hold, as a family, we have a status within the Constitution and we have the right to make those decisions. But if you are not a married family, the state will go in and argue that you are not entitled to those rights. So we want the Constitution to reflect families as we know and experience them and that it is the lived experience of of everybody's life. And if I could just ask you about that, because as you're well aware at this point, uh, the Catholic bishops have uh, advised the electorate to to vote no. And uh, their difficulty seems to be around the notion of marriage and they're concerned that this might stop people from choosing that as um, their durable relationship. But uh, you, you, you will retain a special care for the institution of marriage. How will you have a special care for it, Senator, if it's on par with other durable relationships? Oh, well, the first thing is that if you are, need to go into court to assert your rights as a family, if you are married, you don't have to prove that you are anything other than that, other than to prove your, to bring your marriage certificate. If you are in any other relationship, uh, the durable relationship is the definition that we're putting in, you have, to, you have to prove to the court that you actually are a durable relationship, that you are what is intended to be a family and what is understood and experienced to be a family, and you will have to prove that to the court before the court can say whether you're entitled to those family rights or not. So marriage has a superior place because you produce that certificate and you get all the rights that flow from that immediately without having to prove anything. So that is enshrining marriage. That is holding that special place of marriage. All other 
um, all of their uh, families as we know them uh, are recognised as a possible family within that definition of a durable relationship, but it would still have to be proven before the court. It's the word durable that is causing the most controversy, though, around this and how that will be viewed, I suppose, by the courts, I suppose. Uh, yes, and, and how we are describing that is th- this has to have all of the hallmarks of a family. It has to be lasting, permanent, stable. You know, people choose not to get married for a variety of reasons, but it has to be a recognisable family unit that is missing. The only piece that it's missing is that they went and got married. You know, it has to be strong, committed, a caring relationship. So that it, uh, and it, we, we are not putting in the, the requirement for it to be an intimate relationship, right? uh, understood as in sexually intimate relationship, because we want to recognise that parent-child relationship and that they are families. Um, and, and unfortunately, there have been instances where the state will, will have to argue, because the Constitution doesn't recognise anything other than married family, that when people stand, it's a very lonely place to hear the state argue that you're not a family. Um, in the things that all of us take for granted and no one recognised to be a family. One of the issues that uh, Senator McDowell brought up is, again, around durable relationships and, I suppose, deciding when and how a durable relationship can end or by whom it can be ended, and then that impact on maybe a future relationship. Well, I think that we, we uh, in a way, we're, we're overcomplicating it. And um, the fact is that people come in and out of marriages, come in and out of relationships all of the time, and sadly, relationships break down. That is the, is the normal course of of life. It isn't the majority, but it it is a, a natural happening in life. The the recognition of the family unit is something that, in and of itself. It, it rec- they, those relationships are lasting, they are permanent, they are stable. So parents might not be living in the home with their children, but may still, you know, they have guardianship, they have access, they have custody, they have all of those, those sort of rights. We need those recognised in relation to that family unit and making sure that where there isn't a marriage at the heart of it, and um, that those parents still have a right to assert that before the court. Um, one of the other points the senator is making, and uh, this has the ICMSA coming out uh, sharing their concerns as well. I mean, a farmer, for instance, who has a, a live-in unmarried partner may at present agree that the farm will remain his property even if the relationships break up. Now, the effect on that, and this is, I know it's a motive, but it certainly is causing farmers to scratch their heads and wonder about the, the, the future there where a durable relationship is concerned. And I completely understand the fear of that. In my early uh, legal career, I represented quite a number of farmers in actual fact in the High Court in, in relationship breakdown situations and in maintaining the family farm. So I, I really understand that. So there's two elements to that. First is, is inheritance and the second is relationship breakdown. So let's just, just, just box off inheritance for a minute. Yes. First of all, from an inheritance point of view, if you want people to inherit, if you want the person to inherit that you want to inherit, make a will. A lot of people don't have a will, and I, I spend all my days out in constituencies yeah. and that thing. Make a will, for goodness sake, make a will. It's not that difficult. Make a will. And the second is the Succession Act will be as it stands at the moment. So in the absence of a will, the Succession Act comes into place, and that favours spouses, so that's the person they're married to, and children, and it favours them 
uh, in the absence of a will that there are requirements there. Challenges to wills happen all of the time by people who aren't covered by the Succession Act. You know, for instance, if you have a, a nephew or a niece that, that has lived in a family farm all of their life, helped contribute it um, in the belief that they may inherit that, um, in the breakdown, or if there isn't a will, in the, the courts have ruled in the past for someone to get the equivalent of a, a salary, a lifetime salary, as they may get a life estate in it. So there are very so things like that happen all the time. And um, so this won't change. Inheritance won't change as a result of this change. Relationship breakdown is now the next one. So from a marriage perspective, in the courts look and have an obligation in when a marriage breaks down to look for the proper provision first of the child or children of that relationship, then of the spouse if a spouse is not working and, and has been has contributed in their in their life and interest into that into that family farm and proper provision is they have the, the state has an obligation the courts have an obligation to make a proper provision for that and that proper provision stays in law it's in the constitution and it's in all of the divorce acts um, and any subsequent changes to those from a, a durable relationship point of view, or maybe let's just come back to marriage again. Again, in a marriage. So let's say you have a couple who marry and they don't have children. Mm-hmm. One hasn't contributed in any way, is out at work, and the other, and the two of them break down. They, they, let's say the man is in the family farm and the woman has married into that. The, this, the courts have a, a history and look at that as... What was the, the, the material contribution, the financial contribution, and compensate for that? In, in, a, in a durable relationship, it would be exactly the same situation in that they look at what has been the actual material contribution. So maybe somebody took out a loan for the improvement of something on the farm, and um, even though they're, they're, they're cohabiting in that, they, they, in the event of that breaking down, then yes, there would be a necessary for a financial compensation of that. But they would look at the material facts in front of them. Durable relationship does not change the superior position of marriage, and it doesn't change the law on inheritance or uh, or right, you know, assets, joint assets acquisition. It doesn't change any of that after this referendum. And before so we, the, the fears are unfounded. And before we move on to the the care one, can I just ask you why is it that the government won't release the information on the legal impact? of uh, the family referend until after polling day. I mean, we, you alluded there to confusion. Now, I'm completely confused, I have to say. That's why I'm trying to listen to as many views as possible. But uh, what, what do you make of that? Why, why not release the impact? Well, well, first of all, that, that is, to be honest, a bit of a red herring. The, the, uh, when a, uh, I have a lot of experience in a, under a different hat on the whole area of surrogacy with um, interdepartmental groups. Yes. So they meet, they go through all of the pros and cons, all of the, they're, they're ready to think, well, would we need additional legislation for this? If the people vote this way, then that's the sort of legislation there, the consequence we have to think about if they vote that way. So they go through all of the, the possible permutations and they discuss those, and they do that over months and a long time. In, in this instance, they would have had, you know, constitutional convention, citizen assembly, all of the all of the accumulated since in 1997. It was first suggested to change the change the constitution in all of these areas. And um, so, in interdepartmental, those memos 
uh, that Senator McDowell is saying, rather mischievously, to be honest, because <laughs> he knew himself as a former Attorney General and and uh, member of Cabinet, that it is not, you cannot use the work of civil service to argue a, a, de- a debate in a referendum one way or the other. Under the McKenna, you can't use, because those people have been paid for by the state, and let's supposing it came out, and all of those members come out saying, yeah, absolutely, this is absolutely, and it made a huge argument. Senator McDougall would be the very first person to accuse the state of using the arms and might of the state to win the referendum. And so it, we hold it back, let the people make up their own mind, let those who are for come out and make their case for, those who are against make their case against and let people make up their own mind. We have the the Electoral Commission, we have uh, Mrs Justice um, Marie Baker out giving that neutral position and answering any of the questions that people have and she is empowered to act neutrally and independently and that is the appropriate thing. Can I ask you then about the second uh, vote, the CARE amendment? Uh, this is essentially scrapping two articles and replacing it with, with one. Would you just go through that for me? Okay, so there there is one paper, it's the green paper on the day, uh, and it is, we're calling it the CARE referendum. And that is to do two things. First of all, to remove the historical piece in the in the constitution which doesn't say a woman's place is in the home but it does highlight that uh, a woman doesn't shouldn't be obliged to um to by economic necessity to engage in labor to the neglect of her duties in the home and it's recognizing woman by her life within the home and what that care so we're, we're saying let's, let's take that out let's turn it into a general neutral gender neutral language to recognise the fact that there are grandparents caring for their grandchildren in the home. There are, you know, aunts, uncles. There are men who give up their jobs and stay at home and care for their children. Uh, that, that, that the act of caring is something that is central and necessary for our society. It happens within families in all sorts of permutations, and it isn't just women. And that, that original provision only, only provided for mothers. You've done work in the past with FLAC, the free, uh, the free legal aid uh, uh, group. And, I mean, when you see them coming out about this and having some serious um, thoughts on it, uh, saying that, uh, you know, that this, if it goes through, is unlikely to provide carers, people with disabilities or older people with any new enforceable rights or to require the state to provide improved childcare, personal assistance services, support for independent living, respite care or supports. Um, for children with uh, disabilities, when they come out as strongly as that, uh, a group that you've worked with, does that not concern you? It, it, it doesn't because I, I disagree with them uh, fundamentally and I, I support the likes of one family, you know, that their family carers, Ireland, who I work with to a huge extent. Um, they need, they want care recognised in the Constitution. They want an obligation put on the state. And there is an obligation of strive to support, which is stronger than the original world, which was only to, you know, ensure, uh, endeavour to ensure. This is strive to support. This says that the baseline provisions for care, as they stand at the moment, so carers' allowance, carers' leave, um, domiciliary care, all of, those, all of those allowances, child benefit, all of those allowances, they are the baseline, and we have to do better. The Irish word here it has a positive momentum going forward when you, when you define it. Now, I want the Minister for Social Protection to have the constitutional mandate 
when she's in negotiating uh, the budget to support that, to support care and to increase her mandate, saying the people have given an instruction that care is a value in our society. It's enshrined in the Constitution in all of its manifestations. You know, there are childminders within families that are in informal arrangements. I would like that to be recognised. I would like there to be a, a similar to that, that uh, childminders get an allowance similar to the rent-a-room scheme, that they get tax-free. There are the things that I'm going to advocate when the people vote yes for this, to say, now, we've enshrined this, now we have to be more creative. Now we need that mandate child-minding. It mandates kinship carers. It mandates that family carers need to be supported. In, in regardless of their gender. Yeah. And and uh, again, uh, just to, to quote from what Flack are saying, though, I mean, and again, I heard some people with uh, advocating for, for people with disabilities over the weekend being very strong at this as well, because it's stereotyping people with disabilities as the subjects of family care rather than individuals and rights holders themselves, Senator. And I, I understand absolutely, I mean, the independent living movement I know have come out with deep concerns that people with disabilities aren't passive recipients yes. of care, that they're independent right, rights holders. And already the government has ratified the, the, United, the UN Convention on the, the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We have a Disability Matters Joint Directors Committee that holds each of the government departments to account in the implementation of that. Every government has every government department is responsible back to meeting Anne Rabbit on a quarterly basis, but the unit on a monthly basis to say how they are progressing. We need universal design in our public spaces to make sure that it is accessible for everybody, not just wheelchair users, but people with impairments in their in their sight and in other areas. We we need all of those things implemented and we're seeing it percolate through all of the government departments to ensure a sensitivity around disabilities. But that is something to hold the Oireachtas to account for. At a constitutional level, the concept of care is is about just people with disabilities as rights holders, as carers themselves. One of the biggest, one of the people who has the biggest influence on me um, in this area is the, the late Selena Bonney, who, who mm. died last month, and she was the chair of the Independent Living Movement. She was a woman who was a disabled woman, but by golly, was she a carer. She was an activist. She was a, a change maker and someone who challenged us all. And um, so I never see uh, people with disabilities as passive recipients at all. Like she's a model and the stereotype I have in my head as someone who's vocal and challenging. And I, I think that what we need to do is put the, have the constitution reflect the lived reality of people's lives, which is that caring is a, is a very important part of the fabric and structure of our society. We saw that particularly during COVID, the need for care for the elderly, the need for childcare. Things came to the fore as values and important aspects of our society, and we need to, to put that into the constitution to mandate the onward support of that. So that if there is ever a this government or any future government were to ever attempt to reduce what we have now, then that is uh, that can be litigated in the court, and the court the government can be held to account that they should always be striving to support care further. And can I ask you just finally, as a woman, do you have any concern at all about woman and mother being taken taken out of the constitution? Because again, this is something that is bothering quite quite a lot of people out there. 
All right. Well, well. First of all, as a woman, we're we're not. The word women will still remain in the constitution in other areas. Uh, so, uh, but also, I'm reflected in the constitution as a citizen of Ireland, as a person who has equality before the law, has equality of assertion. So, I have no worries about. I I stand as a person under this constitution, proud of my constitution to reflect the life and the values of the world that I live in. A mother, it is a peculiar thing that we would want to hold one aspect of one one gender when back as far as 1997, we said that that was not appropriate. You know, the All-Party Committee back in 1997 said it's not appropriate to have it to one gender and to mother. Mothers are reflected in our, in our daily life. Child benefits paid to mothers. There are all sorts of supports. We have gone to work on the gender pay gap, brought in legislation to do that, to ensure that women aren't discriminated for being mothers. So there are a whole heap of measures that we take all of the time to support mothers, to support women, to support men care, male carers, to support families. Um, and we, we don't, we, what we want is our constitution to be that living, breathing document that recommends or that reflects Irish life as it is lived today. Senator Mary Seary Carney, we really appreciate your time today and thank you for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, thank, you. thank good, you. Good morning to you. 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. There's a new Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Yeah, lots, lots of questions coming into us about various aspects of uh, the referendums and uh, lots of them, needless to say, I can't answer because I don't have a, a background in... Um, Illegal stuff. Uh, one of our listeners, though, saying uh, we need more clarity, Fran, on what a durable relationship is. There are too many questions on the wording. And uh, what if people can't afford to go before the court? Um, the only thing, if it's any help to you, what Roderick O'Gorman has said about a dur- durable relationship. He was asked this in the Indo yesterday by Hugh O'Connell. And his interpretation of durable is it's a relationship of strength, of stability, of commitment. It's the type of relationship of people we know, like a one-parent family or a cohabiting couple living together unmarried, whether they have kids together or not. And he went on to say these are relationships that give value to society. They're important, but right now they're not recognised in our constitution solely because they're not based on marriage. So that's that's his take on it. If that's any helps you, or indeed if you want to make comment on that, again, 083 311 Sophie joins me now. Sophie, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Sophie. I think you have concerns about the referendums, do you? Ash, I have a few. Just you were talking there about durable relations. Yeah. Broke us out of my brain here. Can I, can I just give, give a little thing about it? Yeah. Um, Helen McEntee 
uh, it was uh, documented on, on a paper there, that was some time ago it happened, her refusal to allow a non-EU man to be treated as a permitted family member on the basis of his durable relationship with an EU citizen. The minister pleaded, now this should be listened to, the minister pleaded that the term durable relationship has nowhere ever been defined. Yet here we are, as to put it in our constitution. Now, I think they're making it up as they go along. Helen McEntee is a Minister for Justice. She never heard of a durable relationship when this problem came up for a non-EU member. Now, I think all these things should be questioned. A durable relationship, I mean, there's an awful connotation, but you could get married in the morning, you could break up that night, and what happens then? I mean, lots of things happen in, in, in between couples. I think it's uh, it, it's like quicksand now, based mm. on quicksand. And, and what, what about what Roderick O'Gorman said in his interpretation of what it is to be, be durable. Yeah, you know, he said one, like one parent families cohabiting couples, you know, whether they have kids or not, Sophie. Look, at the basis of, of a home, in all honesty, has been for since the world was, was, was women. And I mean, women are the only people who can give life. Mm. Mm. When you think about it. Yeah, sure. And home is vitally important to society and the common good. The home has to be protected because... The, 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 the move for references in the maternity literature would frighten you. We're not women there anymore. We're called birthing people. And now I think we're also called uh, people without a cervix. I mean, if we let this go on, we will be wiped out. We fought for, for, for the women's vote, suffragettes and all that. And it's so important that we have all this. It's so important. That woman is not removed. And, and do you see the then behind this is that notion of gender neutrality to, to have yeah, the constitution gender, well, that, particularly that these has articles. has a place yeah. as well in life, but a woman's place is very, very important. And uh, everybody has a right to, to their neutrality or gender, whatever they want. I don't mind. I'm not against any of that. Yeah. But, but I think the basis of all human life and, uh, and you know, is a woman. And a woman is the only person who gives birth. And we have to respect our women, our, our, our daughters, or would-be mothers. It's very important. Roger O'Gorman also stated at one time, as, when he was integration minister, mm. um, he said he threatened state-funded progressive NGOs that they need, they need to explain themselves. They don't campaign for a yes vote. Ironically, one word from the patriarch, and they all fall into line. I mean, that's not good. These are snippets I've got from papers. So are, are you saying there's almost it. intimidation there? Yes. Is it for, that not, is... not, not, not almost. And you know then this other thing about the carers. I was listening to that the other night there. Yeah. And the, the word used was carers will strive. Now what is that word? That's the weakest word you it can is find. It's a bit watery all right, isn't it? Yeah. What about all the little children with, with the spinal problems? I mean, those children have grown and their spines haven't been fixed yet. And I mean... If, if they want to be good to people, they, they, they should be looking after all these problems instead yeah. of banding uh, these words. I also find drive. it ironic that there's all these talk, all this talk now about carers, but I mean, Cheney Mac carers have been forgotten about <laughs> through Perhaps. successive governments over people. over decades, yeah. you know. But all of a sudden, you know, there's a spotlight on them now at the moment. Yeah. And another thing I question too is is um. Mm. The Citizens' Assembly, who seem to be running the country, none of us know who they are, what they are, what backgrounds. I mean, that's another thing. They, they're always, when uh, Leo Radke is in power, they, they're always on the ball. He, he kind of goes to them, here, this mm. stuff, do up that for me. 
big thing. We want to know who's behind all these. I mean, this is going to cost about you 18 mean because they're million. not elected. It's not an election. Yes, they're uh, not elected by yeah. us. Are they elected yeah. by you or me? I never heard them until they were brought up a hundred people. We don't know who they are, what they are. Well, well they tell us that the it's rules. a chosen mix that reflects uh, Irish chosen, society. Yeah. No? The chosen few. Well, it's not reflecting all Irish society. This is, 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 this is what's coming out. That the tears, they will strive. I mean, that is the weakest, mm. wateriest thing I've ever heard. And I wouldn't listen to it for, for anything. Now, I'll tell you that much. And it's opening up a Pandora's box these two referendums. You know, there's going to be problems with succession rights, immigration, legal, economical, uh, and consequences on family law. I mean, it's an ill... And durable relationship is an ill-defined notion. Mm. Uh, and there will be all this, you know... Um, I mean, there will be the polyamorous, or what do you call those? Mm. Polyg- they'll all... They'll all... Everybody will be entitled. Well, well you, you see, know. they will... Well, what the will, they're, what the they're telling us, they, they won't, the because if, if it's not in accordance with the law of the land, it won't come under this. Do you know? But so, the law of the land is a joke at the moment. I mean, no, Helen But do you, but you take my point, just for clarity, Sophie, that, you know, bigamy is not allowed in this country. It's not legal here. So, therefore, it uh, won't come under this. It's coming down the line. Don't you worry, you think Pet, so? It's all coming along. <laughs> what would you think? <laughs> it surely <laughs> is. I mean, anything goes down. I mean, you can't open your mouth now, would you? You know, any, yeah. anything goes, and it will come along the line. Would you, you know, really believe that, Sophie? Yeah. I am. I am full sure of it. Yeah, uh. I am. I mean, the way things have gone, things have changed so much. You know, I'm not narrow-minded, but, I, 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 you know, I, I think don't let one faction or the female tribe dominate an entire gender. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a certain faction of females who are putting all this, and they, they can't dominate an entire gender such as, you know, men and women even. You know what I mean? We have to, we have to call a halt somewhere, especially when it comes to this. This was a real unnecessary um, referendum. So what, what's behind the, it then as far as costing 20 um, million? I'll tell you what's yeah. behind it. Hold what on, I, I wrote it down here a minute ago. Yeah. It has satisfied the government for endless symbolic change to be popular on the world stage in Europe, etc. We're great guys. We're the leaders. We're the innovators. And it's all e- egotistical in a lot of their minds. Honest God, I think that's what a lot of it is about. Because it was unnecessary. This was unnecessary. You know, Mm. And I see where Michael McDool even said that the, the, the um, children's allowance uh, mightn't be safe under this new legislation either. Well, I, I think he's being mischievous now about that because, I mean, there's no question uh, well, of that. Do you well, mean McDowell, in terms of I, being paid to, to a woman? Is that uh, to pay to a mother? Yeah, he said that? in Article 41.2, uh, children's allowance, which was payable to his mother, mm. he said that the removal of Article 41.2 could threaten the non-means-tested payment. He's not saying it won't be taken, but the non-means-tested... See, they're pushing a lot of things back on the people. This mm. is what they're doing. They're, they're, they're very clever. The government are very... Or I don't think it's the government. These Citizens' Assembly are very clever. What, what did you think of Catherine Martin? I mean, I mean now she's in trouble over RTE at the moment, but well, she, she was I in trouble Catherine earlier Martin. on in the, in the week because she's propagating that notion that the, the Constitution says that a woman's place is in the home, which it doesn't actually say at all. I mean, you it know... It doesn't say... No, no, that, that's what's wrong. They're yeah. Interpreting the, the whole word, they should sit down for a night now, and every government should read exactly what the constitution says. And actually, a lot of women would like to stay at home if 
to rear their children if, if they had enough money. Yes. And I mean, that's what they should be doing. They should be providing. Because there's certain ex, uh, circumstances where, where they can't get cares for their very sick children. And that woman needs extra help in the home to mind the child. Because you, uh, you, know, you can't get helpers anymore. To well, help you see, that's been taken out. Uh, that's uh, Article 41 too. It, it's saying the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of her duties in the home. Now, some of that is draconian language, but it's saying basically that she shouldn't be forced out to work. Um, no, but, but most women are. Most women are, are they not? Yeah, but that, yeah, but the government, if they want to strive to help the carers, because well, mothers in the home are carers too. They're caring for little babies. They're caring for sick children. They need to be helped, and that's what we should be fighting for. To, to, to get to get that kind of help for people who want to stay at home until the children maybe are three or four or five, you know, in the, in the early ages of their development, I think it's very important. If they can, but to economic reasons, most people can't. But I think the government, that's what they should be striving to do, and they would have much more, you know, support from, from the people if they went that way. And, are uh, you know, are there more important problem. things um, nowadays that we should be looking at as opposed to... Uh, these referendums, do you think, Sophie? Yeah, I think we should be looking after. I, I think people, mothers in the home, children, their education, their uh, their, their well-being. You know, like the children with spinal problems. I really feel for these kids. I mean, their whole life, if they had been looked after earlier, and it's true because they couldn't get money to to, to do these operations or whatever was yeah. going on. These are terrible things. Can you imagine the pain every day of those children? I mean, the government should be helping. To keep us and the home is so important. I and mean, they all came from homes, I presume. Everybody comes from a home, don't they? And from a mother. And everybody has a connection with home. You like to go to home during the holidays, Christmas, Easter, people who are away, but they love to come back to to mum and dad. I mean, they're all very important people in the home, you know. Without that society we have nothing to build on for the future. What what do you make and of I, the, the, the bishops coming out yesterday and advising the electorate uh, to vote no and they're making the point that the proposed family amendment would possibly weaken the incentive for young people to marry and they're saying about the second proposed care amendment that it would abolish all reference to motherhood in the constitution so the first one uh, what what about that where where marriage is concerned well actually i i didn't i, I can't comment because i didn't actually read that now to be honest but yeah. well they're, they're they saying that it could weaken no the incentive of young people to to get married actually that's weak and long ago i mean Do you think marriage so? is not very important that, that that's an old that's old hat now. I mean, that's, marriage is not important at the moment. You know, people don't get married much later now. Yeah. You know, they will get married. But if, I mean, a, if at all, yeah. If it's all, you know, that, that has nothing got to do with it, really. Sure it hasn't. You know, that, that's, that's, mm. that's not an argument, really. Sure it's not. Mm. Pe- people are not rushing to get married. But they, do, they will eventually at some stage if they want to, you mm. know. Yeah. I mean, they have enough of protection without marriage, seemingly, at the moment, anyway, haven't they? You so know, you have your mind made up, it. you have your mind made up uh, as far as you're I would think so, I would think so. And, um, yeah. well, everybody to their own, but I think it's very important to preserve... I mean, it's terrible to think the word mother is going will go out of the Constitution mm. and women. It's already in the, in the, in the maternity literature. And, I mean, this was slipped in. And I think people should question the citizens' assembly. Who are they? And they shouldn't be running our country because we didn't actually elect them. We don't even know who they are. Well, well, in first, my understanding is the wording they proposed is not the actual wording that's in the referendums. Do you know? Um, so. Well, then somebody else 
tweaked it to suit themselves then again. I mean, they saw the government would say, whoever read it, and say, yeah, this will be stronger, we'll do this. But so, suppose as a government body, they're entitled to that because these citizens' assembly don't represent us. We never elect them. It's the government has them mm. under their wing. So I suppose they can tweak whatever they like, you know. Yeah, I, w- I was intrigued with the other comments that uh, Roderick O'Gorman said in the Indo yesterday. Um, he, he was, uh, again, about durable, durable relationships. But he said, when it comes to the Constitution, you deal in concepts. You don't deal in lists. It's kind of abstract, isn't it? It's kind of... Yeah, but do you know something? They're all very, they're all very abstract. I mean, if you've got the, the things... It's all very abstract, the words and everything that we got from the government. Everybody is so confused. This is why people are so sick of it. They can't understand what it's all about. It came out of the blue. It wasn't important. I mean, everybody is being looked after, really. I mean, you know, the, the, the government are looking after people in different situations, cohabiting, everything. I mean, nobody's left short, really. There's some uh, wing in the government to look after nearly everybody, and I, I think it's going well that way. And why change it? And why attack the home and why attack, you know, like a mother and father in the home, you know, why attack any of the old years? They would say that they're not doing that, that in, in fact they're just broadening the idea of what a family is, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well basically, so, you know, a woman has the children and a woman is very important and a woman, you know, she... she yeah, and, she and largely it's women that are carers and you, you can be as sort of politically correct as you want to say, oh, men are carers. It's largely women. It's largely women. It's largely women. Men are fantastic too. We can't let down men. Ah, yeah, but They're you know what I mean. Like, let's, let's be honest about it. I do, it. yeah. It's, I know it's, what it's you mean, yeah. Women, you know. yeah. Sophie... But they should know that too, though. They all came from, from, from a man, um, all the people. You know, I mean, they should all, they should cherish it. You know, they should. And keep the, the 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 word mother there. Just keep it. All right. And uh, our women and mother. Don't let that go. So I and, I, I enjoy the chat, Sophie, and thanks for coming on with me. Thank you. Not at all. Thank, thank you. you. Good thank morning. you very much. And the very very Take best care. of luck Bye-bye. to you. Thanks, Sophie. Um, back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, we spoke last week about how older white men are now deemed to be sort of uh, in a minority in some ways, but uh, also discriminated against. And it followed an article from um, David Quinn in last week's uh, Independent. And um, he put forward the, the the story about the RAF at the moment because, you know, they are pushed towards diversity and they're no longer looking for white people to take involved, white men, uh, because from a diverse point of view, they're looking for more women and they're looking for more people of colour. Now, we had a big reaction to this, but Donald joins me. Good morning to you, Donald. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, great to talk to you today. What what do you think of this, Donald? Well, no, this is a, another version of the the old woke argument again. It's coming back to haunt us once more. Um, if you're recruiting for the RAF and you want, say, fighter pilots, you want people with the right aptitude and skill and capability, this colour of their skin or whatever doesn't should not really matter. Because... If you're flying at Mach 2 in a fighter jet and you're, you're looking for a target on the ground, I think it's your eye acuity and your observance and your overall skills 
would be uh, sort of far more up the ladder, shall we say, than anything else. And do you think uh, that that should be right across the board, Donald, not just in an organisation like the RAF? I mean, do you, do you believe that should be in politics? Do you, should, should it be the best person for the job? Well, it should be, because now, like, another variation of this is we've gone down the road of quotas. Yes. Uh, in terms of election candidates and all the yeah. rest of it. Yeah. Now, that's all very fine in theory, but the thing is, you might not get the best candidates. You might get somebody who's parachuted in there just because they're male or female or whatever, mm. and to just fill the quota. And that doesn't necessarily work, because mm. you'll end up with people who might not be capable of doing the job. Yeah, but you're, without I, naming I, names, Donald, have we not that situation as it is? We have people that are be- there because of colour or gender or whatever, and they might necessarily be the right person, in fact. Well, un- unfortunately, we may, we may already have arrived at a situation. Like, you know, and that's not helpful to the general public, like, especially if we're depending on someone to represent you uh, to fight your corner on a particular issue. Um, if, they're on, if those people aren't up to the job, then you're, you're on a loser straight away. And what about the notion of diversity? I mean, at your core, do you believe that everything should be equal and balanced, or is that ever going to be possible? Well, diversity it seems to be a kind of a movable feast, because every time you get a little bit of diversity, somebody else sticks their head up and says, oh, what about me? Mm. (laughs) And the whole field keeps expanding all the time. So it's a very hard one to pin down. As uh, you'll see there from your previous conversations about the forthcoming referendum, um, there's all sorts of implications like this. Uh, could he use on particular roads? And we still won't be finished, if you know what I mean. Mm. Well, well, the job. Well, just explain that to me. What do, what do you mean by that now? Are you, like, are... if we keep um, moving the goalposts as we go along and changing the constitution, every time somebody feels that we should, mm. for for whatever nefarious reason, then like we're going to be at this job forever. It's, it's never going to end. And what what do you think about these referendums, by the way? Do you, do, do you think that they're I, I, necessary for starters? Is, no, is I think we're being sold a pig in the poke, basically. In, in, in what way? Um, this, this whole notion of removing the concept of motherhood from the, from the, uh, the Constitution is a mm. bad idea. Mm. Pure and simple. Because, it, again, it's, it's back to the woke argument, uh, removing any reference... Uh, to female or motherhood, and it's already happening in the hospitals. Like you know, as one of your previous contributors has outlined, like you know, we're now regarded as well, females are regarded as birthing people, mm. and I mean that this just complete woke nonsense. And this gender neutrality then just so as not to offend certain people is is does that trouble well, you? Well, like there's lots of people out there who want to be offended. Mm about whatever and we've gone to the stage now where you can't say anything or somebody will be offended yeah no the whole thing has become quite ridiculous yeah I mean that doesn't bother me the least I mean I'm offended kind of regularly but I mean that's my I'm sure you are Fran you're in, you're in the kind of a job now that they all come at you <laughs> from all quarters you have, you have no hope whatsoever no but I mean you know yourself don't if you or I are offended I mean that that's our own business I mean you know so what <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I like, I like, for this, but if, if I was to say that I was offended by every single thing that ever happened to me, yeah, I, 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 th- I think I'd be cowering in a corner in a, fo- in, a, in a padded room, like, you know, at this stage of the game. But no, 
no, no, that wouldn't be my form. Um, but again, going back to the referendum yeah. and uh, the second part of it there about striving for uh, yeah. the rights of carers and all this sort of yeah. carry on. If you were to put that kind of language into health and safety legislation, you'd get yourself arrested. <laughs> what? What? That you would have uh, an environment where you strive to make it uh, safe? Make it that... safe, yes. And, <laughs> That's a very good uh, point. That's be- a very because, good point. you see, the basic line there is the word is must. Yes. And, yeah. and if you don't actually do that, then, well, you're going to be visiting a judge and he, he or she won't be too impressed with you. Go that way. Yeah, can I just read those few lines, would you mind? Um, the state. This is what the proposal is for the care amendment. Uh, the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such a provision. Yeah, well, that's, that's, so that's it all sounds there. wonderful until it gets yes. to strive. Yeah, when it gets to the punchline, strive. That's utterly meaningless because I did a quick calculation there before I came on on terms of the actual value to the economy of the carers. It's about 500,000 carers and about 100,000 of those are receiving the carers' allowance. Now, even allowing for that and upgrading that to a proper rate of pay, which it isn't by any stretch of the imagination, and then giving the, the remainder an actual proper um, if you like a union rate for pay you're looking at an overall figure of 25 billion a year to the economy not the 10 billion that some people are quoting it's far far worse than that and can you see the government putting their hand into their pocket and handing out 25 billion when they're getting it for free Uh, is it very ironic all this talk about carers I mean when they never bothered very much about carers and no And the sad thing is that carers, some carers are saying, yeah, we have to vote yes on this because if we don't, um, there might be an opportunity to have carers, you know, work recognised for decades again. Well, put put it this way. The the, 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 the acid test on this, that particular part is, what will that do for carers? Will it put an extra euro in carers' pockets at the end of the week? Well, it's just recognising, I suppose, the work they do because it's largely invisible, I suppose. You know, well, it is. An awful lot of people are out there working very hard and doing an awful lot of good work. But as you say, they're not recognised. But again, uh, a lot of people in that situation are actually impoverished because they they can't claim um, the cares allowance because it means nothing. They can't actually go to earn anything because they're, they're obviously already occupied. So what do they do? Like, this isn't going to make one jot of difference. Well, well they're, they're going to strive to recognise the provision well, of no, care. So. The very simple thing, though, Fran, you know, my attitude is, this, is very straightforward. Um, if in doubt, chuck it out. Yeah. Recycle so, it. So you're, you're, you're indicating to me, I guess, Donald, how you're going to vote uh, on this. Oh, no. Nine, eight, none. <laughs> the whole way. And then very European over it. Aren't you? M- multilingual, <laughs> Donald. I, I love it. The, the show is rising in the ranks here, I can tell <laughs> Donald Garavilvahaga, <laughs> lovely to talk to you today. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Good, Good morning. morning to you. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Rob Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Huge response to our various conversations in the first hour of uh, the programme uh, this morning. We will get back to that, and thank you very much indeed. Uh, 83 311 If you want to speak to Leanne today, who's looking after the show, it's a free phone number, and it's 1800 938 007. Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.ie. FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And Francis O'Hanlon is with me in studio. Good morning to you, Francis. Hi, and good to see you today. I love the way the questions that come in um, asking for your advice are often outside of your, your, yeah, your sort of portfolio, I mean, shall we say. Where, where we can help people. <laughs> from, I suppose they're all connected in a weird kind of way and it all kind of yeah. comes back to money. But look, it's nice to be asked. And, and as you know, over the years that we're doing this, um, we want people to know we're listening to them and that, yeah, you know, where we can help, we we will help. And where we can't, we'll say, actually, sorry, you know, this is just yeah. a steer. But, and but you always point them Yeah, well, look, if you so can't important. help people, if you yeah. can't direct them in some way, it's all the one really, isn't it? It's an interesting first question. Mm. Uh, a listener wondering how they should set up their 16-year-old who's about to start work. Um, they're wondering, is it done automatically or do we need to contact revenue? Or how does that work? So for your first job, you and by the way, you only need to register for your first job. Imagine, congrats, imagine somebody starting their first job at 16 isn't it? So, um, okay, so they need to register only for their first job. Any subsequent job thereafter, um, it the employer will register them. Right. So it's only for your first job and then you need to go into the jobs and pension section of revenue my my account so it's via my revenue it's online and you can do that via my account okay and it's only for your first job any subsequent jobs are by the subsequent employers they'll do it for you Hmm. That's interesting. I, I thought you'd present yourself for your first job and then whoever's the financial officer would sort of organise it. No. no, well, and maybe they they yeah. will, maybe they'll direct them right. again. We're talking about own, direction and, your own and help, but really yeah. the obligation is upon them for their first job. Right. Okay, to, to, and the easiest way is to do that via my revenue, go into the jobs and pension section on their my account and they can put in the register, the number of their employer and that's it. All right, very good. Uh, the second question then, the listener inquired about retiring and what is the ideal amount to have saved for retirement? Well, I'm going to need my crystal ball a few times today. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, and I'm not, I, I, and I say this because, you know, that's the million dollar question. People often say to me, is that enough? And I'd say, I don't really know because I don't know what your lifestyle is. You know, it might be that they have visions of going to the Grand Prix, you know, worldwide, or it might be that they want to do extensive traveling or and then again, it might be that they're saying, yeah, we're going to go as the majority of people do for the odd break here and there. Yeah. You know, I'm more interested in traveling around Ireland, looking after my garden, whatever it be, and that their needs are simpler. So, again, I'm not being funny, but I don't know what's enough here for you. So let me give you an example. 
right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you've 120,000 in your pension pot. Yes. And let's say you're 66 and let's say you're signif- you have a significant other uh, who is also 66. And let's say that you take 25% tax-free of your 120,000 because you can do so. And basically then you've 90,000 left um, from which you must take 4% per annum. That's assuming that we'll put the residual balance into an ARF. That gives you another 3,600. So assume then that you're getting about 29,500 from the state pension. So all of a sudden you have a total income between you of 33,000 or 635 euros a week tax-free. Is that enough for you? And again, this is what I'm saying. I'm trying to... These are the questions. You know, yeah. I'm, I, I'm doing something at the moment, uh, of course, which I won't get into, but I keep thinking to myself, I wish he'd give examples. I wish he'd give examples. So yeah. I'm trying to give you an example here of a pot of 120,000. You take 25% of it tax-free. You have 90,000 left. You must take 4% per annum of it on top of your two-state pension. So you have an income of 33. That's all tax-free. Can you live on 635 a week? And if it's a thing that somebody said, God, no, that wouldn't even touch the sides because I'm doing this, that and the other, then no, you don't have enough. You know, so you need to think like that. You need to think how much, what do I need net into my hand? And I, this is what anyone that knows me and any of my clients that I'm dealing with in retirement, I often hand them out a standard financial statement, which is basically just to assist them in breaking down what their expenditure is. Because all of a sudden they're now retired, they maybe don't have the same petrol or diesel mm-hmm. Um, because they're not travelling as much. Um, But now all of a sudden they have to pay for the VHI maybe that they had as part of their job package or, you know, so there's many different things. But I I normally think it's a good exercise for people to sit down and say, what will I need? What do I reckon I will need to live? Okay, so maybe put down your basics and then put your holidays and your discretionary items down on top of that because you should be doing that but, if you but can. Most, well, most, I don't know, but an awful lot of people won't have the kind of books to put away for a pension to give them the lifestyle that they would yeah. like, so Francis. Is that not it's the... It's funny, Fran, everything comes back, isn't it, to, to the centre point. Affordability. You know, you, affordability, and you mentioned earlier about we give people steers, so sometimes all of these things are connected, so think yes. now about pensions, we've been discussing them so long, so many years, and how much, you know, you will retire someday, ask somebody who's retired how important it is to have a pension. Now we have to be real and say, like some people, like if you consider 2008 and the financial crash and crisis and the people that suffered trying to keep a home, a roof over their head, or maybe they didn't manage to keep it. You know, if you consider all of those things and you consider now that possibly in the next five or ten years, those same people could be retiring. um, Sometimes it's a very uh, short gap for them to save. Yes. I think you need advice. It's amazing the amount of people, even in the last couple of weeks that I've had present in front of me that are in their maybe early 50s. And I'm saying, right, we need to tackle the home mortgage first. Let's get rid of that first. And then, you know, it might be that it's, oh, no, well, I have that now. I'll be paying that right up to 65, 70. And I'm going, no, you won't. Not on my watch. And we try and address that first and then maybe address putting some money away but again, every case is different. Some people just literally are living week to week. Of I'm course, very yes, mindful of that. Course, yeah. But again, you know, and I've always said this, the people that normally have less are, are really good at managing money because they have to. So 
it might be that, oh, well, I can't afford a pension or it might be that they can afford 20 euros a week. Every little helps again without using anybody's taglines. Mm. But again, I think you need a plan. So if I can go back to this example, say somebody has 70,000 in a pension pot. You know, that's why it's so important that your money earns money. So when I see pensions, and we'll come into that maybe if we get a chance mm. later on on one of the questions we have. When I see money doing nothing in a pension pot, then I think, oh God, every shilling that you make on that pension pot is such a difference to you when you retire. So it was really important. This hour, sure, look, I had that and sure, I had that back in 1999 and sure, it's stuck there in the drawer. You, you, I know. That's yeah. not good enough. Do, do you feel for the future where, yeah, I mean, home ownership now is so, so difficult. Um, potentially in the future, we'll have people going into retirement paying huge rents, for yeah, example. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's... That's why, you know, again, people need to... I know it's hard and I know the whole home ownership. There's a lot to be said for having the roof over your head yeah, as yeah. your own. Um, but How, yes, However modest it might yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But again, I was speaking to somebody lately who's in this kind of late 40s about to build a house. They've built different houses over the years and they kind of said, really and truly, they rethought this. You don't need a palatial home. I know, I know. You actually, With in six fact, ensuite bedrooms. No, stone because they have to be cleaned first of all. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah. But you know, you have to think. Okay, what can I afford? What's modest? I need space. Obviously, yeah, we're not putting yeah. anybody into a box. But you know, you need some reasonable space. But it all has to be maintained. So maybe everything mm. needs to be rethought slightly. Yes, and while you can clean the windows when you're in your 20s and 30s, can you clean them when you're in your 70s? As well? Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Alright, a listener says that she is using Revolut uh, to mm. save for a house deposit, but she's worried that it's not recognised by financial institutions. Don't have any concerns that it will not be recognised, first of all. Just stay within the 100,000 deposit compensation scheme limit. And I say that for every institution you know so that's basically don't be worried Revolut is um, authorised by the Bank of Lithuania in the Republic of Lithuania and by the European Central Bank and is regulated by the uh, Central Bank of Ireland for conduct of business rules okay so basically it means they're regulated and they're regulated within Ireland to be conducting you know business Mm. here so don't be worried about that and no bank will say oh you're Revolut no, you know, they're not going to do that. They're competition to them, obviously, but they certainly wouldn't be turning their back saying, we don't recognise that they couldn't do so. OK, um, and it would be against consumer protection code and one thing and the other. So don't worry about that. Just keep within the 100,000, um, which I don't think is probably going to be an issue I, for somebody. I, I, I don't but who think knows? Somebody. But uh, did I hear somewhere, are they giving out mortgages now, uh, Revolut, aren't they? Mm, I, I think maybe heading towards it, Fran. I don't know yeah. if they are at the yeah. moment. Maybe not within Ireland's that I'm oh, aware right. of, but okay. possibly, in I would say, in the not too distant future. I'm sure this is a, a question you get quite a bit as well. A listener wondering if they pay a lump sum off their mortgage will it bring down the monthly payment or just shorten the term of the mortgage or are they better off not to pay the lump sum interesting question so I am all and this kind of feeds in to what I was mentioning earlier about people with mortgages I am absolutely all for shortening the term of your mortgage by paying lump sums increasing your repayments all of the above whatever you can do, because you've nowhere to go with a family home mortgage, okay? It's not a business 
investment property, buy to lets or business and you can offset interest. Family home you can't. So the, the, the quicker you can get rid of that, in my opinion, the better. You save yourself a ton of money in interest, life premiums, one thing and the other. So again, I don't know the specifics of this person person's mortgage, so I'm generalising mm. here. Just be careful because there's some banks, if you give them a lump sum, they'll say oh, well, look, we're leaving your repayment as is and you have this wonderful credit up here. You can offset it any time you like, right? So you need to be careful that they're actually you're applying not it. Much no. on that, well, you're not reducing yeah. the interest yeah. that you're paying. Yeah. Then there's other banks that will put in the lump sum, but they'll reduce your repayment, saying, listen, we'll put in that lump sum for you and we reduced your payments. Isn't that so much easier for you going forward? So you need to be very specific about what you want. Bank, I want to put in a lump sum but I want my repayment to stay the same because I want the term to come down from 17 years to 10 years. So you need to be very specific in your letter. Dear bank, I've just paid in 50,000 into my mortgage. Um, I Please note that I wish my repayment to stay the same so that the, this reduces the term of my mortgage. And please check because, believe mm. me, it, we know we're dealing with them all the time. Sometimes they don't do what they're asked. Isn't that funny? Okay. Wow, I'm really surprised, yeah. <laughs> shocked and surprised. So you that. just need to be mindful. Just Can I just yeah. say one thing? Of course, be careful yes. if you're fixed that there's no penalties by you doing what you're doing. So just be careful. If you're putting in a lump sum or if you're increasing your repayment, just make sure that no penalty applies for what you're doing. Okay. What's happening with uh, Pepper Mortgage uh, customers? Yeah, okay. So this was funny. I, I actually came across this um, in for a client probably about 12 months ago, right? right? And I noticed, actually two separate clients, I noticed that their mortgage hadn't gone up even though they had a mortgage with uh, um, with Pepper. And I thought, God, that's odd. Interest rates had gone up, but their repayment hadn't gone up. So basically, Pepper have now said, listen, we've made a huge mistake here. Um, when interest rates were going up, um, we failed to increase your repayments accordingly. Right. Okay. So I, they actually wrote to people, as far as I'm aware, as each interest rate increase happened and told them their rate had gone up, but they never actually applied the increased repayment. And how many people are we talking about here? Two and a half thousand, I think, roughly. Wow. Mm. So it's quite significant. Um, so basically, the good news is they're not going to claw back the interest that these people should have been charged as these increases started from October 22. Um, the bad news is they will increase the repayment. It, so it's going to be quite the lift in some people's repayments. If they can take any comfort, um, they haven't been paying the increased interest since October 22, but they're going to pay it going forward. Okay, so... Pepper is saying, listen, if people are in difficulty, you know, we'll assist them. You know, there's the, the means where you can have a look at somebody's means, literally, and say, look, they can't afford this. Just be careful. Seek advice on that and matter. We hear about these kind of errors from financial institutions. I mean, how does that kind of thing happen? Now? Is it software? Is it Yes, absolutely. You know, it, the yeah. world of computers and, you know, this is not somebody sitting down with a ledger and, and an abacus anymore. This is computers and the computer messed up here and the computer didn't recognise um, or the the human that was to input the information didn't put it in properly or, you know, all of the above possibly. So, you know, can I just say to people, 
first of all, they can't offer fixed rates. We've had this discussion yeah. before. So they are saying, look, we'll give you a fixed repayment for a while. That's not a fixed rate. They're just saying if you're struggling, they'll help you in that. You might say, oh, well, I can't do uh, uh, 300 extra a month immediately. I can only do 150 a month. So don't mix that up with fixed rates because they can't do them. All right. Uh, PRSI changes, uh, Francis. So this is an interesting one. You know, all the years we've been speaking about, you know, the day of reckoning is coming in relation to pensions and the population is ageing and PRSI rates. Will they, you know, at the moment from 66 on, you don't pay PRSI, okay? But based on the changes where you can now say, hold on a minute, I'm working, I actually don't want my state pension um, until I'm max 70 or it might be that you're working but that you're trying to gather a few more stamps so you'll eventually get the full state pension therefore because of that if you're getting an ARF distribution an approved retirement fund distribution okay you are going to now have to prove that you have the state pension or the provider of that distribution will start charging you PRSI automatically because um, so basically it's because of the changes in the state pension so I would say to anybody an awful lot of the providers will write to to their clients who are between the age of 66 and 70 saying are you in receipt of the state pension if they're replying back saying yes I am they know that they've already taken their state pension so no PRSI will apply to them from age 66 on if they're not in receipt of the state pension, if they've decided to defer, um, then they'll be charging them PRSI on their ARF distribution. Which, doesn't that completely make it a waste of time to defer your, your, your pension? Well, see, again... Uh, you're not going to make any extra. Fran, one size doesn't fit all. This is down to individuals. So somebody who... This is wonderful for the person that was saying, oh my God, I'm I'm five stamps short. You know, had I had another five years to work, had I another three... Sorry, had I had another three years to work, I would have got the full state pension. Okay? This is possibly a way of them getting the extra state pension by paying... Say they have a job on the go and that they can accumulate more PRSI contributions and then start taking their state pension from the age of 68 or 69. But if it's a thing that they don't have another job, they probably have to take their their state Mm. pension Mm. at 66 and take it at whatever level they were given. So again, I think this just comes down to... I'm only mentioning this because there's a lot of people out there who are getting ARF distributions and they will be asked to provide proof that they're in receipt of the state pension. Otherwise, they will take PRSI off them, okay? So again, not to panic, just to be aware. So if anyone out there has an ARF and they're over 66 but below 70 and all of a sudden they're getting a letter from their whoever company um, or their financial um, advisor saying, listen, you need to provide proof that you're in receipt of the state pension, that they'll understand what that's about. God almighty. <laughs> I mean, really, God almighty. Um, just just briefly before I let you go, just the markets, uh, Francis. Yeah. What's, what's, what's the story? Look into that crystal ball of yours. Yeah. So, Madame O'Hanlon. Yeah, so yes. look, obviously an awful lot of things going on here. 
um, you know, rates, will they go up? Will they come down? Interest rates, that is. Um, expectations, they probably will in Europe, maybe mid-year, but probably not in the States. Uh, let's not even get into that. Um, so there's an inflation issue is still at play, geopolitical issues, you know, Ukraine, Gaza, all that's going on. Yes, imminent the election, elections worldwide. Say, yeah. Um, so I suppose the main thing here is we've said this and it was back to the pension question. You need to earn money on your money, right? Don't underestimate the risk of inflation, how it ravages the value of your money. You need to earn money on your money. Know your timeline. Know how long you've got to your imminent retirement or to when you will need the money that you're going to invest. Know your attitude to risk. Right. If it's a thing that you're investing and you know you have the time, if it's a thing that the markets took a dip, that you'd panic and jump off the surfboard, right? Then you shouldn't probably be in that investment. Right. Okay. So if that's the case, you may be better off staying in the harbour or on the beach, as I would put it. Okay. Um. So know what you're investing in to the best of your ability, and you know that you'll understand it. So many people I see invested in things they didn't understand them, they didn't know what they were getting into, and then they end up in difficulty. Um. If deposit is your attitude to risk, if you're saying, "Oh God, I don't, I I don't want to be in equity funds or whatever," it be if deposit is your thing it might be the time to be looking at fixing for a three or five year period of interest rates are going to start coming down so again this is all about yes. individuals and individuals attitude to risk so i'm just going to very quickly just say to you had you been in our go-to medium risk equity fund um that we mention on a regular basis which will remain unmentioned um for the last year you'd have had 17 percent gross that's medium uh -huh. risk had you been in it for the last two years, which were very difficult years, bear in mind, 22 was a car crash, okay? Um, you'd still be up 9.28%, right? Gross for the two years. Bearing in mind, you'd have dipped 17% in 22, okay? Um, if we look over seven years, so I'm trying to give you different timelines yes. here, you'd be up 57.92% gross. Um, your high would have been in 2019 at 19.73% and your low in 22, negative 17%. So that's over seven years gross. How bad? Now let's look at longer term. Let's look at 30 years. These are the pe the pension investors. 900% gross. Okay? 900%. High of 35.86% in 1997. Low of 31.14% in what year, Fran? Give a guess year of the financial crash, okay? So the markets dipped. This particular fund dipped on back of the markets crash in 2008 at 31%. But it doesn't matter because in the 30-year context here of your pension, and this is what I'm trying to say, growth is so important, okay? So somebody who has their 120,000 pot, say they have a 20 or a 30,000, or I sure it was a pension I had from a former employment you know, or that doesn't matter. If that's in the right place, that could serve them really, really well by the time they're getting to their retirement. So it's so important. Um, funny enough, I came across a client lately like that, forgot about this pension she had since 1999 by accident, and I mean by pure accident, ended up in a, a what I would consider a good fund. Uh, not as good as one we're talking about, but she's up 220%. Literally, I'm laughing by doing nothing, being oblivious to it. Because they, they couldn't even write to her because she never changed her address. <laughs> so sometimes 
I'm just trying to show the importance of growth here. But being comfortable with your choices and whoever's dealing with you, that's the importance of advice as well. Francis, great to see you and thanks very much for all that that, that wonderful advice. If people want to talk to you, by the way, Francis, how how can they do that? Yeah, they can contact us in the office, uh, sorry, via our website, which is www.foh.ie, by email at foh at foh.ie or ring the office so five two six one two nine four eight seven. See the way we remembered all of that without <laughs> notes. It's amazing. <laughs> Francis, thanks very much indeed. Thanks, we'll take Fran. a break back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, you're very welcome back. 1800 Thank you for those questions for Frances O'Hanlon and we'll package them together and we will uh, email them to Frances and she will address them uh, next time round. But uh, thank you for your your constant interest in that uh, piece. Now, it's time for Global Politics. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Good to see you today. Very interesting piece you're making reference to here. Um, It's a BBC uh, Russia editor, and he's talking about the, I I suppose, the two years of war in Ukraine and how it changed Russia, with Putin as being the main character. Yeah, and change is the word, change, dramatic change, I think. His name is Steve Rosenberg. He's People will be familiar with him. He's the correspondent with the BBC for Russia. He's, I suppose, lucky to still be in Russia. I know many of his colleagues have been kicked out of the country, but obviously he's a respected journalist there. But he wrote a piece last week, kind of charting the evolution of Russian society over the past two years and it is it is staggering to, to, to say the least. Since the Russian invasion things have completely changed. I mean Russia has become this totalitarian anarchic almost state. We've seen it in the past few weeks with the death of Alexei Navalny uh, and the tragedy that that has yeah. brought. We're reminded out of the second anniversary of the war of Ukraine uh, President Zelensky speaking over the weekend saying 31,000 Ukrainian troops have died in this invasion. The Russians are very reluctant to release statistics about their own rate of casualty and I suspect they won't. We won't get a good idea of that but what really interested me about this piece was Putin's change. We mentioned it off air. Putin has evolved from kind of a a politician who was seen as a, a moderate, who mm. was kind of open almost to the idea of NATO membership for Russia. There are quotes from him, according to a, a poll, 59% of Russians support the idea of Russia joining the European Union. That's from 2001, 59%. Uh, NATO and Russia seeking closer cooperation. Uh assigned both sides the real threats where peace lies not with each other so where did it all go wrong I mean where did this how did this new Putin emerge he seemed to kind of emerge from the clouds there after the Covid pandemic largely uh, and it's a really intriguing scenario and it is but still we have to go back to 2014 and all that happened there as well and the it? annexation of Crimea yeah. and that was a significant that was a significant moment because I guess that was the inception of this current crisis uh, yes. and led to led to what we're seeing now play out in the battlefields of Ukraine Putin's annexation of Crimea uh, but even then his relations with Europe were were cosy. I mean, himself and Angela Merkel had a... And I'm an admirer of Angela Merkel, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the reliance on Russian gas and Russian energy was there. 
And Putin used that, he used it as leverage against Europe, I think, uh, to benefit Russia. So a really, really, a really cunning and sly politician. I think we've known that for years, even in his dealings with uh, dealings with the outside world, his, his foreign policy stance. He's extremely clever. He's extremely cunning. As you mentioned off air, that interview with Tucker Carlson earlier put paid to any notions that he was sick. Yeah. He's very yeah. sharp and he's very with it. And... Uh, and, and hugely manipulative. Hugely manipulative. He? And has a huge yeah. intellect is yeah. another thing yeah. uh, that's often forgotten about. He is a clever man, Vladimir Putin. He is, you know, uh, intrinsically he's an evil man, really, when you look at it. I mean, when you look at what has happened to Alexei Navalny and just the the tragedy that occurred last Friday week in, in that penal colony... Yeah. Uh, to see Russia's... And, and Prigozhin, of course, and the whole Wagner Prigozhin thing. as well. Yeah. There are others. There's another yeah. guy, Vladimir yeah. Karamurza, who has a similar similar stature to Navalny, maybe not quite at his level of popularity or fame, but he's being holed up in a Russian prison as well. Uh, so you have all these figures, potential opposition figures. And let's not forget that Putin is heading into a presidential election next month in March, in which he's going to coast home with almost all of the vote. Uh, it may as well, it's a non-runner, the election, really. It's farcical what is happening. But that will cement his hold on power further. And the 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 Russian editor, Steve Rosenberg, does he indicate how ordinary people in Russia feel about what's happening and feel about Putin? Yes, and that is the thing. And he cites the fact that they have become increasingly reluctant in recent years to express opinions uh, that go against the Kremlin line. And you'll have noticed this in in news reports, in the, in the reports we're seeing each evening in the news. Uh, Russian citizens are reluctant. I mean, you have some brave souls who come out, they were laying flowers for Navalny last week and you have to admire their courage and their bravery. Many others are disengaged by the political system. They, they chose not to comment on it, not to interact with it, presumably for fear of the repercussions uh, should um, mm. uh, should they say the wrong thing. Is, is conscription happening in Russia? Is that, how, how, how is that working? Uh, Putin has avoided direct conscription, but he is bringing larger and larger numbers of, of uh, military-age men, we'll say, into the armed forces, into the military. Uh, not to the extent that he's launched nationwide conscription. I think he's, he's very reluctant to do that because the popularity... Uh, that, that that may dent his popularity significantly because ultimately people don't really want to go to war even though there is an acknowledgement. Of course, mm. Putin still isn't painting this as a war. It's a special military operation as far as those inside in Russia are concerned. Uh, but there isn't full conscription yet. But I think there's a pathway slowly to it. The, the really threatening thing is that Russia has massive manpower in in, in contrast to Ukraine. And if we look at the battlefield right now, I mean, the war, it's tilted in Russia's favour. There is no point denying that. We had that Ukrainian, that failed counter-offensive last year. We have reluctance on the part of Western nations, including the US, to supply Ukraine with vital weapon supplies. Zelensky coming out over the weekend saying the troops, 31,000 troops, have died. And all the time, Russia building its forces and building a a steady front line there and making gains. And and still Zelensky talking about crushing Russia and winning this war and stuff. 
I can't see it, though. Yeah, I can't see it either, Fran. I can't see it, and I hate to admit that. I really do. But I just wonder how long that strategy is sustainable from Vladimir Zelensky's part. I mean, look, the focus has deflected off the Russian-Ukraine crisis now onto the Middle East, and that has worked against uh, Zelensky. But at some point, there is going to have to be some kind of negotiation now whether that will mean the return of certain territories to Ukraine or whether it will mean Russia keeps hold of parts of and Crimea. Is it today that big meeting is happen, uh, happening in, in the Paris? USA, par, uh, yeah, uh, Palace there. And what uh, Macron has called this. Has convened he? this yeah. kind of at the last minute as a, a show of solidarity, a show of support to Ukraine. The Taoiseach will be there, Leo Varadkar will be there, along with about 20 other Western leaders. Uh, they're all going to Paris for a kind of a show of solidarity with Ukraine. But it strikes me that there doesn't seem to be a plan there. Aside from, obviously, suppose weapons deliveries and stuff like that, and and weapons deliveries are being threatened, there is no clear pathway forward. There is no pathway to formal peace talks being negotiated. So it's a real, it's a treacherous situation at this point because people will continue to die. I mean, people mm. will continue to die out in the battlefields there. And and you can't mask the reality of that for and, for and, both sides. And finally, before we move on from this, what, what about sanctions and how sanctions are affecting Russia? Because again, in the Tucker Carlson piece, and everybody, I mean, there was a huge element of propaganda to it. But he he showed himself in the supermarkets. The supermarket shelves are all full and the like. What what about the effect of sanctions? Yeah, Russia has constructed a war economy, and it has done so incredibly. Uh, by all accounts, it has managed to fortify its economy against uh, against the sanctions. Quite punitive sanctions, it has to be said. I mean, sweeping sanctions imposed on the, the Russian regime. I think the EU have imposed 14 sets of them in all, in total. The Americans, something similar. But it hasn't seemed to... I mean, the Russian economy grew last year, which is astonishing when you consider the amount of pressure that it's under. It's seeking help from third countries, from other nations, the likes of North Korea, the likes of uh, those Central Asian republics, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan. Uh, It is using kind of loopholes in the sanctions regime uh, to circumvent the West's uh, rules and regulations. So it is surviving. Russia is surviving in the face of these sanctions. Now, the longer they hold out, the more biting they will become. It's worth saying that. And I I don't think Vladimir Putin can survive them forever. I think there will come a point when when Russia really does begin to feel these sanctions starting to bite uh, and when parts of the Russian economy do start to crumble. But for now, for now at least... Uh, the the Russian economy seems to be relatively stable and on a relatively good footing, which is remarkable. It is remarkable indeed. Um, von der Leyen, uh, second term pitch. Um, yeah. Was that unexpected, by the way? Uh, the, well, to a certain extent. There, there were, I mean... She has supporters and she has she has critics. She's plenty of both. Put it this way: she's made. We've spoken about it before. She's made a number of notable gaffes. The whole Israeli thing before yes. Christmas. She expressed support for Israel, unequivocal support, and was lambasted by other EU countries and other EU leaders uh, for taking too much of a a solo line on that. But she has always been favoured to run for for a second term, a second five-year term. She is president of the European Commission. So just to remind people, the European Commission is the body. It's effectively the... It's an executive branch of the European Union. 
it's like the European bureaucracy. It's the bureaucracy of the European Union and it's headed up by the Commission President along with 27 commissioners. We have commissioners for each country. Mairead McGuinness of Fine Gael is our commissioner. It used to be Phil Hogan. We had that whole debate. I won't go there. Uh, but von der Leyen is uh, relatively stable in position. She's presided over a, a relatively good term in office. I mean, she has managed the COVID pandemic skillfully enough. She has managed the war in Ukraine and and kind of collaborated with other Western leaders to... Mm. Uh, to and, sub- and push the green agenda. And course. push the green agenda, yeah. most importantly. Yeah, yeah has is, really... Is she moving away from that now? Is she... There are slight... Because of, I suppose, the allegiances in the European Parliament, the European Parliament is going to be swept by the far right. Swept, maybe not swept, that's too far a term, but certainly uh, the far right are expected to be the dominant parties after this year's European elections. And I think... Uh, Ursula von der Leyen is acutely aware of that and she's acutely aware that in order to regain her position as Commission President, she is going to have to uh, gain the support of some of these far-right figures. So she has kind of rolled back in her support a certain green initiative, certain green policies uh, and taken a kind of a softer stance on that in contrast to previously. It's very interesting really because the... The EU Green Agenda forms a core part of European Union politics now. I mean, it is something that the EU is invested heavily in. Uh, it's pouring huge amounts of money into the into sustainable economy, into the green economy. Uh, and von der Leyen herself has been a champion of that. So for her to roll back on some of those promises will be a difficult take and a difficult thing to put to voters. But it looks like it's something she's going to have to do. She's a notoriously hard worker, she said, to sleep in her office in the Berlin on in Brussels uh, to that extent. So she is... She is very much committed to this job. She's a German. She's a former defence minister of Germany mm. and she a member of the CDU party. So it's worth... She is kind of a, a right-wing conservative, uh, probably socially liberal, economically conservative as a politician. That's her ideological stance. But certainly at the moment, it doesn't really look like she has any main challengers for the job of EU Commission post. I would expect her at this point uh, to to take the job again. Yeah, I as an old hippie, of course, my concern about her is that notion of defending Europe and a defence agreement for for all the the states. I mean that that is in her portfolio. Yeah, the, and the, that is in the minds of EU leaders. Yeah. Emmanuel Macron has has you know uh, has advocated for that. He's another one, as have other senior EU uh, leaders and and military figures. That is kind of the establishment of a joint defence partnership within Europe and that obviously would have repercussions for Ireland because of our neutrality stance and that's why I think, you know, the, the, both the Taoiseach and the Tónaiste have been very careful around their wording on neutrality. I mean, Ireland has a has a, a good history of maintaining a neutral stance and I, you know, personally think it's important we probably do maintain that uh, going into the future but you have others there who are military hawks, so to say, uh, so to speak, and they are kind of advocating a, a tougher line that Europe needs to pool together defence spending. It needs to develop a joint, uh, a comprehensive defence forces in order to protect against threats like Russian aggression uh, and threats from further afield. So there are there are justifiable arguments for it and there are there are ones against it as well. It's a difficult one. It's a difficult one for von der Leyen. She'll tr- probably kind of tread the middle ground in relation to it. Uh, I think myself, she's probably more of a, a military dove than she is a hawk. 
in in other words, she isn't as keen to go into direct conflict as as might be suggested has been reported that's just from my reading of the situation from the various reports I've read on her but certainly military spending and military finance will play a, a prominent role in in the campaign very interesting we ask you to look at a historical figure and uh, Benito Mussolini il duce um what w- what about him what what makes him worthy of your well, he's. Your profile. I suppose he's not worthy. If we look at it, he's one of the infamous <laughs> dictators of yes. the 20, 20th century, and and Com- really complex character. A though. complex character, and you know, preceded Hitler in many ways. Rose to power prior to Hitler. We, yeah. Hitler st- stole his thunder, I think, in the Second World War when Italy was very much depleted of resources. But Mussolini had quite a lengthy tenure prior to, uh, prior to the Second World War. You know, he had kind of. Uh, escapades in in Africa and different countries rose up he was a journalist he founded the Avanti newspaper rose up through the ranks and eventually established effectively a military dictatorship in 1922 in Italy putting all of Italy under his control and presided over a number of kind of controversial agreements bringing certain cities into into Italy's orbit certain other countries uh, African countries his foreign policy was based on the, the fascist doctrine of spazio vitale, which is mean, which means living space. So that was to extend Italy's living space, extend its territories, extend its borders. And you'll recall Hitler had a similar policy, Lebensraum in in Germany, in which he wanted to extend kind of the give give Germany people breathing space or living space. So do you think Mussolini influenced? I think there was direct Hitler? inspiration yeah, there. Wow. Yeah, just yeah. from from my reading of it, I can't see it any other way. I mean. Uh, and as well as that, his annexations, he annexed the city of Fiume in Italy into the, after the Treaty of Rome in 1924. Through the Tirana treaties, he turned Albania into an Italian protectorate. So he did lots of things to incorporate lots of different places in Europe into uh, into Italian territory and was quite popular, obviously, within his own country. I mean, we forget this because because figures like Hitler and Mussolini were so notorious and so sadistic ultimately we forget how popular and how hard a grip they had on their home countries he was obviously a very popular leader uh, and throughout the 1920s he maintained that popularity it was in the 30s that his his stature started to fade somewhat and his popularity started to ebb uh Italy. My understanding is, though, that he didn't immediately get into bed with Hitler. I mean, they, no, no. There, were, there was a reluctance there. There was yeah. a reluctance there initially, and it took a bit of coaxing and kind of uh, pushing on Hitler's side. It was only really when the Italian economy really started to struggle and the wars of the 1930s had cost Italy huge amounts of resources and capital and finance. It was then that Mussolini kind of. Uh, gravitated towards Hitler because I suppose he was desperate for support and he was desperate for some kind of military alliance to keep Italy going and ultimately that decision to go to go into direct conflict with the Germans alongside the Germans to to, to join the the Allied powers or whatever was a fatal error and it led to the downfall of Italy. It led to his death. He had kind of an ignominious... What, what happened to him in the end? He was, that's very interesting. Yeah, story, he was hung it? upside down along with his, his mistress, his wife in, I think, some Alpine region of northern Italy having tried to flee the country uh, towards the end of World War Two. So kind of a a humiliating end to his life, which I think few would have seen coming when, when you consider he was this great dictator of the 1920s, this all-powerful, 
all-consuming dictator and for him, for it to yeah. end in such a way was astonishing, really. There's, there's a very interesting story. I'm not sure if you're across it, but a, an Irish woman attempted to assassinate mm. him. Did, mm. did, are you, you, you and across the story, I am indeed. Yeah. I've heard about it. Her name escapes me now, but... Uh, there, me too, yeah. But uh, there was a great RT doc on one documentary That's about I it. Heard, yeah. Uh, and only for the gun failed, I think, to... She nearly uh, had him. She, she nearly had him. him. And imagine how that could have changed the course of history. Just imagine, I mean, <laughs> to change the course of World War II for actually for a start, yeah. you know. Uh, so there are amazing subplots to it and amazing... He's a fascinating, he's definitely an intriguing character. I'd encourage people to read up about him uh, because for all his his evil and his, you know, his sadistic tendencies, he was a, a skilled politician in his own right and clearly a very clever man, a little bit like Vladimir Putin, Indeed. a very and intellectual man. Whenever we get chatting, we always run out of time, Thomas. But if, if you were to pick one thing that we should look uh, for over the next week, uh, look to, what, what do you think? What's I, the think I think Sunak, Rishi Sunak, uh, or Mark Ruta, he's the former Dutch Prime Minister. He's still Dutch Prime Minister, in fact, because the Netherlands has failed to form a coalition government pro- yes. following its election in November. But Mark Rutte is the outgoing Prime Minister of the Netherlands. He's favoured to take the NATO top job off Jens Stoltenberg, the current incumbent. So that will be a very interesting one. I think myself he's a good candidate, safe pair of hands, very solid politician, solid performer uh, and should perform well in the role. So watch out for him, Mark Rutte, the former or outgoing Dutch Prime Minister. What a time in history to take take over NATO. Like, indeed, oh. indeed, certainly. Thomas, great to see you as always. Thanks, Pleasure, Fran. Thanks Thank very you. much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. So, tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to Tip Today. Tipperary Women in Business on Tip FM. Funded by Commission Naman. With the television license fee. Now, this week's Women in Businesses, uh, Business even, uh, focuses on a great friend of the show, Muriel Cuddy from Marito 8020. Good morning to you, Muriel. How are you? Morning, Fran. You're looking, you're looking more apprehensive than usual. Because why? The spotlight is on you now? Kind of out of my comfort zone a little, yeah. When I can talk about food and food-related and lifestyle, yeah, that's like my world, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah spotlight's on but me, it's not normally. When I was thinking about this, though, I realised, I mean, I know you for years now at this point, but I don't fully know the story, so to speak. I mean, what about your introduction into business, for example? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, I would say, and I will always say, um, my love of business and my level of learning uh, came from Daddy, the fact that he was in business. And I started working with him very early. So I was 15 when I literally was dropped into the office at home and I had to learn everything, literally hands-on from then. And I suppose he put me into different worlds, bank worlds, finance worlds, different worlds, 
from that age on, as in you, you, you swim, literally, or you, you sink and you don't sink because anybody will know from being in a family business, uh, you just get up and you get and on well, with it. And you're pretty much immediately dealing with banks and with Oh, totally. From the, very, be- from the very beginning. Like, I remember, like, at 15 or whatever, I, I couldn't drive, of course, so Mammy had to do the driving, so she yeah. brought me to the bank. But, like, and that had to be done then, I had to do it and I had to learn very fast how to do it. I think at the time, Daddy had probably about 300 people working for him. So wages, wow. all of that kind of thing. Like, that was my role. Now, he was wonderful, as in, he 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 came across sometimes people as, as a cross man, but he wasn't, as in, you know, even when I made mistakes and done things wrong, he'd give out or whatever, but he was always 150% behind me mm. for me to step up and go on and do it again, you know. But, um, yeah, that's where my... The nature of his business, though, it was a very male business, was it not? Oh, it was totally, yeah. I would yeah. have been the only woman in it. It was, it it was, was forestry, wasn't it? was it? forestry, yeah. yeah. So it was all men. It was men coming in out, in and out all day long. I think I loved that, though, because... Even in school, I don't ever remember having a huge, huge degree of women friends. That's come later in life mm. or whatever. But you get men get on with it. So that's the basic, like, yeah, you know, and even if things aren't done at 100% or whatever, men, there's never a row. There's never, or if somebody needs to say something to you, they'll say it to mm. you. And that's the way it was, like, always. Like, I learned very fast, like, you do it and you do your job and you just get on with and it. And were you ever treated as the little woman in the office? No, I don't think so. No, yeah. never, never, no. I don't think I would have taken that anyway, yeah, to be I don't honest. Think I'm, so either, yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, from very early age, uh, everything was very black and white in my world. And uh, yeah, no, I just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed chatting. I think the, the I was isolated so that piece I think was hard as in at 15 in the country um, my friends had gone in school and I had to do my leaving search at night and all the education I've, do, I had to, I've done literally since that day had to be done either at night or blended learning so the blended learning pieces you're doing it online yes. but you're driving every weekend so you're literally Saturday and Sunday you're in the car you're heading to Dublin or you're heading to wherever say Limerick and Dublin were the two places that I would have um, done all my education so I did find that piece tough and even though I was doing the business piece my love was always in nutrition lifestyle exercise and all of that so I started doing all of that at night and I started doing all my education piece on that at night. So even though I'd worked the five days um, or six sometimes, I was out every single night on the road working the other piece. So did you have a goal at that point? No, I didn't know what I was going to do at that point because I was in the world um, with Daddy and I knew I had to stay there. That wasn't an option for me to walk away from Mm. that. And as time went on even, it's funny, my, my husband started in business doing the same business. So all of a shot I had... Uh, one business here and another business here and I was doing both Um, but the other piece I loved so I stayed doing that at night and that was in my head yeah definitely especially if we could have kids and stuff that I wanted to do that piece I loved it I loved sideline stuff I loved doing one-to-ones with people and everything but I suppose when you're in business like that there's so much involved in it the day-to-day and the ups and downs and everything of it to take yourself out of it when people really need you is really hard and anyone that's in business or in a family business will understand that Mm. and then in Seamus's business, um, or I can say even our business or whatever, there was a couple of tragedies, as in there was, there was driver error involved accidents. They were massive and they were very early on, say. So, um, and I suppose it's important to talk about this because people that are in business will really, this will resonate because I have this look at the minute, say, with Marito and everything, and there's a story behind where you get to, does yes, that make sense? Yeah. And and there was there was two tragic accidents in the space of two years. And in, in, in those two years, then we would have lost everything because of insurance, etc. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the learning in that, how it changes you even as a person is massive. And you can hear that even in my voice because even when I think back to it, 
Um, the first one, I think, I was actually pregnant with Kyle at that time. And when I heard that night somebody had been killed that was like with us or whatever, that was awful. And then literally 12 months later, the same thing happened again. So when you lose everything and you have to come back again, it's kind of the piece, isn't it, that makes you now put your feet in the floor every morning and get up because you have no choice. You're still upset over this? Um, that, that, yeah, I suppose... Yeah, when anybody gets killed or anybody loses a life and even when I hear today of somebody losing their life in any which way, one of the families, like, he was married, he had kids, you know, and, and like, that just, it changes you, it, it affects you, like, and that piece, even in business, it makes you, it changes you as a person, Fran. There's, there's no, I can't say any more than that. Like, I was young, I was only 20, no, I was more, I was 25 or 6, I'd say. But I wasn't the same person after that. And as each thing happens to you, and I suppose this is what differentiates between somebody being in business and self-employed to somebody that's actually implied in a world. When you're self-employed, different things that happen, you have to, what, what would I say? When the, the SHIT hits the fan, it comes straight back on top of you. And you don't have anyone else. You have to deal with it yourself in your own way. And you have to say to yourself, do I get up and get on and do it again? Or do I pull back? And when the second, when it happened the second time, we lost everything to the extent we had to head to Sweden. So we had to pick up the two lads at that time. And we went to Sweden because there was an opportunity for us to earn money. And start again. So we went to Sweden because Seamus followed storm damage at the time. Mm. So there was a big, there was tax, tax, um, what's the word? Exemptions, etc. So you had the chance of making money. So we had the chance to go there and make enough to, like, literally pay back everything that we couldn't pay because the insurance claims or whatever. So we went for nine months and brought a team of lads or whatever with us. And but it it was fantastic out there. It was like headspace. It was there was night and day. Like there was like only one hour, one hour thing, sunshine or whatever. But my memories of it like are fantastic. The lads worked twenty four hours a day. Um, as hard as they could possibly. I was there with these two little people. But that was my first start even into the whole exercise world of working on my own because I was able to work then when I got a chance. And they had gyms there and the gyms that were there, they were fantastic. So they were they were set up for uh, people that had strokes or had different issues. And we hadn't seen that. Like this is going back like 25 years mm, ago. Mm. So when I went into work there, there was phys- physios there working full time. There was psychotherapists working full time. So if you came in and you had been through an illness or anything had happened to you, you went to the physio first of all. Then you'd come out, say, to, to me or whatever. The machines were all like double sided. So like if you were paralysed down one side, we were able to work with you on the other side to strengthen it. Or if there was a weakness, we could work with the weakness and then the, the nutrition side came with it as in well if we're, if we're um, healing the body why aren't we healing the mind and in, internally they were streets ahead So that's where all this started? I, I think so that was my real love of how you can put the dots can really join together and you can really make a huge difference like when you'd see people coming in and being that little bit more mobile going out and every single week that went by and, and, and it was their hub and they just you were giving people back their lives again yeah so I, I suppose that's where my yeah and uh, that, that's fascinating because I often wonder how people can find that resilience in themselves to start up again after something tears your business apart. Yeah. You know? I think if you're self-employed, you've, you, that, that DNA is there. I've never worked for anyone. So I've always been self-employed to some yes. extent, yeah. So I, I don't think I could ever work for anyone that somebody would be telling me what to do and I have to be in from nine to five. I don't know. I think when you're self-employed, there's some sort of a fire there that always makes you think... You can do more, you can do better, you can build bigger. 
and and like yes the money side is there to a certain extent but there's all the other side because if you were only ever money motivated anyone that's only ever money motivated I think never makes it in business you have to have the other piece as well that you're able to you know do the resilience So the germ of the idea I guess came when you when when you were away how soon were you able to implement that in terms of forming your own business, your own specific business? I think nearly immediately. Um, I definitely started around 1996, 1997. So the first company I started with, so I was on my own for a little while and then I started the first company, Health and Fitness Ireland, um, around 97 or 98. And it was exactly the same idea or that concept that was in in, um, in Sweden. Mm. Um, and I had a, a great guy with me um, putting the, all of that together, whatever, Darren, that we were we were able to get like psychologists, psychotherapists, uh, nutritionists um, from the exercise piece or whatever. And we put together a team and that team then we took into schools, etc. in the beginning. So we were putting together the picture very young for kids that, you know, you have to take yeah. all the boxes or whatever. So we TY workshops and then presentations for teachers. And I worked with the NEPD, like the National Association of Principals and Deputies, um, uh, doing screening programmes and that. But we done that for years and that was great. And then COVID came. So that kind of knocked the legs out from under it all again. So that business literally went, literally, the minute COVID um, happened. But again, you have no choice. So there was bills and there was all the different things that had to be paid, whatever. Um, so we had to pivot again. So that was the next thing was to pivot again. Um, so COVID testing was our next thing. So we started off again and off we took down the road at half four in the morning to building sites and whatever and opened the doors and tested people as they came in so they could go to work. But, you know, it's funny. Everything you're doing and when you're self-employed, Fran, it's, 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 it's all great and everything, but I think you can't do it as a woman unless you have support. And I suppose that would be one of the biggest things for me to kind of get across today. And even anyone that's in here will tell you that has kids. So I know, and I'm not knocking men in the, in the whatever, you know, but mm. even like, say, Ali that's here at work today or whatever, I think for me, being in business, that's possibly one of the hardest hardest things I have to juggle every single day. Family. Is being a woman. Yeah, literally. It's it's the piece of trying to get it right because people look at you and, and it's like you're supposed to be a superhero. And when you're doing the work world and the family world, you might tear into a parent-teacher meeting, you might whatever. There's no superheroes. Every single one of us women that are working, I think are on the verge of collapse or near crash 90% of the time. I think there might be 10% that you actually feel, oh Lord, it's actually going well now today. And you don't even say it very loud because you're terrified. Because there are no superheroes. And I think if you get it 100% right at work, you're probably only getting 20% at home. And if you're getting 100% at home, you're only getting 20% at work. You know, and like even this morning, I was thinking of that because I have so much on my plate this week. We have the Future Mm. Beauty Show at the weekend. Mm. And coming in this morning, the boy said to me, Jaden said, I forgot my Revolut card. I have a match. Um, he had put his coat in the dryer last night to make sure it was fully dry. Sleeves were still wet. It was up in the window still trying to dry it on the, on the heater. Uh, Rocco said to me, Rocco had forgotten something else anyway, I can't remember, but, oh, he's Irish copy. She's going to kill me. I'm definitely on detention. I'm definitely on a white card. I've done my homework. You saw me doing it. That's only a little. That's only a snapshot. Right. But people don't see these things like... And my head at that stage, I it was thinking if I was a man, my head would be gone into work because it needed it to be gone into work for the day that was ahead. But it wasn't, and it was wrapped around everything to do with the kids. And it's the same in the evening times. So you get through your day, and next thing is they appear on top of you, and you've forgotten all about them. And somebody says something to you, and you're like, oh, Lord. Like Rocco even said to me this morning, did you sort th- Thursday? 
It took me two or three seconds and I was thinking, what's Thursday, what's Thursday, what's Thursday? And then it dawned, oh, the match. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in the Munster final on Thursday. I haven't sorted Thursday, Fran. Like, I haven't even gotten near to thinking about tomorrow, never mind Thursday. But I'm supposed to be at his game. And the guilt kills you. Like, if, if he plays on Thursday and I don't get there, you know? Now, with every, what drives you then? I mean, you, you, you say it's not not money and and you've outlined the challenges. What drives you well, along, Muriel? money definitely as well, yes. Because I definitely like nice things and I want to have mm. nice things and I want my yeah. kids to have nice things. So definitely, the money piece definitely drives. What drives you? That's a really good question, Fran. Because it's completely different to anyone else because... I couldn't go in and work for somebody at 8 o'clock in the morning. I definitely want to build something. I definitely want to make a difference to people's lives. And I know what I'm doing in the clinic I'm in isn't being done anywhere else. Mm. And I definitely see a difference every single day in the people that leave. How did you manage to find the ambition for what you're doing? Because what you're doing is huge and I know you have plans to make it even bigger. But to do that out of difficulties with business, if you know what I mean, because of COVID or whatever, how did you find that ambition? I think it's in me. Definitely, I think 150%, you can't stop me. Hmm. And I think behind the scenes at home, my family, my immediate family, would definitely say, you need to slow down, you need to whatever. There's a massive drive. Like, I feel I'm only running at 20% of where I need to run. And somebody even said to me on Friday night, you know, he said, you don't actually see what you're doing. And I don't think I do, because I think I'm so used to, from the age we started at, putting one foot in front of the other every single day and doing the whole consistency, discipline, consistency, discipline, and, and, and then taking it to the next level of, right, where can we go next and where can we go next? I think it's just part of your DNA. But Muriel, if, if Muriel came in to see Muriel, and, and if you outlined your workload and your day, what would you say to Muriel, the patient? Oh, sure, it's funny. Like, I said it on Saturday because we did six six days last, last week and we possibly saw 40, 45, I saw 40 to 45 patients, whatever. And by the time I was finished on Saturday, my I was gone, like, to talk. I knew I was... And Jaden even said to me, we had to rack Gormick to a game that he was playing in. And he talks non-stop, so I don't have to talk. But by the time we got into Ragormick, he said, now, briefly, give me a little synopsis, ma'am, of what I spoke about the whole way down. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, Lord. But, um, yeah, I would definitely say, definitely slow down, definitely pull back a little. Um, I think you have to be driven that... They talk about stress and stuff, Fran. The stress piece isn't the work piece. The stress piece, I think, is the support piece, I think. And, and I would say... Um, I would possibly would tell Muriel, yeah, slow down and take more time out for me time because I don't do any me time at all at the minute. There isn't even, even the gym lately is starting to go to one side because it's getting taken up now with everything else. I would definitely say slow down. But I think, listening out there, women are women's best support. So again, not knocking men or whatever, but women have to support each other. We've taken another four girls into the business, right? So we've four more girls to us that are another fantastic support, as in... Charlotte's aunt was dying last year of cancer. She had no support f- while, while Helen was doing chemo, Charlotte et cetera. Was working with she you, works with me, yeah. Mm. So when Charlotte was out screening, I was up at the hospital collecting Helen from chemo between appointments. Uh, it's the same with my lads. If I can't get out to get him or bring him somewhere, she's gone or she's doing whatever the dentist piece. Women have to support business. And I think the biggest piece of what has brought me on and is still bringing me on is women, fantastic women. Now, there's men in my world as well that do the mentoring piece, but there has been some fantastic women that mentor. They've been down the road. They've, they've you know, they see how hard it is. And they coach you, they educate you, they help you, they show you the different ways of, like, 
sometimes like you don't have money for cleaners and you don't have money for childcare and you don't have money for those things. Like as you get on a little bit, then you start getting a little bit more money that you can afford different bits of support and help. But like if you don't have that in the early days, like I know one girl in particular is in my head even now. Um, I met her in the last whatever month or so. She was in an awful state. She has five kids. She has the business she, and they're all young. They're like all under seven or eight or whatever. She doesn't want her business to go. But she's struggling massively. She can't afford the childcare. Um, husband works away or whatever. So, like, women have to help each other. If we don't help each other and don't become each other's best support behind the scenes, we haven't hope. And that doesn't matter whether a woman is working at home, caring in the home, working outside like I am and trying to... Do, it doesn't really matter. We're all under pressure, all of us, to try and get it right, like. Um, but, yeah, if we can back each other up to some, on some, to some extent, we're doing well. So, I mean, I know you're not... God knows I know you're not anti-men at all, but... It is easier for a man, isn't it? I I just think, and like, the men can ring in and they can knock it and they can can say whatever, they can kill me to whatever extent. But I'm 50 at this stage, right? And I feel men can go to work and concentrate on work. Whereas I think with women, there's some sort of um, an inbuilt something in us that makes us worry about everything else. If I could switch off when I go out the door in the morning or when I drop the lads off, I'd be just like I could get my head stuck into my work and then think about it again maybe at whatever seven o'clock in the evening time but we, us as women we're not able to do that so like if something minor has gone wrong in the morning before we ever get to school it's going to hit your head ten times and you know in the world I'm in say by the time you finish in the evening at six or seven o'clock you're thinking then food all of that kind of thing and you're thinking right I need to get wherever I need to get a proper dinner on I need to get from home I need to do all of that kind of thing and you're still supposed to look well like when you're in there and not, Well, that and not, was going to be my next question to yeah. you because, I mean, by the nature of what you do, you always look lovely anyway. But, I mean, I guess there's work involved. Well, <laughs> totally. Like, and, and in, in, the late, in the last couple of weeks, whatever, people are saying to me, you look tired. And they say, Muriel, no, I don't mean that, like your eyes look tired. They're trying to be, trying to be nice. But uh, when somebody says you look tired, you definitely look knackered, you know. Like, but, um, yeah, I put the work into the exercise when I can put the work into the exercise. The other bits, I have to simplify as much as I can possibly simplify. So, um, Seamus and the lads will always know at home, the hair has to be done, the nails have to be done. So, uh, if there's no budget for anything else, I have to get those two things done. Right, but do you feel obliged to look good all of the time? I mean, is yeah, that... Oh, in the world I'm in mean, now, totally. Yeah. Like a few years ago, no, it didn't really matter. You would, definitely in the world I'm in, mean, well, I would always have to be slim. And fit, and that because that's part of, I suppose, part of who I am. But it's it's still a look. It's a world that you're selling to other people. The world of health. Mm. Um, now the world I'm in, the look is a huge deal. It's a huge and like even I suppose to comfort people in the whole aesthetic side, like that you can look okay and you don't have to look overdone mm. in our mm. world. Yeah. Like this kind of a happy medium, or whatever. But it is, yeah, it's really important to look well. That's a big deal. Give some advice because I'm sure there's people, particularly women, listening to us today who might be starting out with their own business or, or, or what, what What would you say to people? I think the mentoring piece is massive. I think definitely if you're starting your own business, get yourself out there. Even if you can't afford, say like you need advice, you need advice, you need to take advice. So you need to make sure that you surround yourself. There are so many organisations out there now, like Tipperary Chamber, Tipperary mm. Skillnet. There are so many different really good places that you can go now. There are so many good women's groups that you can go and put Tipperary yourself into. Tipperary Women in Business, of course. Yes. All of that. And like, yep. you don't have to interact. You don't have to do an awful lot in the beginning. You can just go and sit. 
you can you can just you can watch people you look at people at, at the top and you'll think my god will I ever be there can I ever present can I whatever but slowly but surely women like that will see you they'll take you under their wing they'll bring you into their fold and bit by bit they'll show you what you need to do you have to be, you have to start getting good if you want to have a business at asking for help you have to be able to ask for help if you don't say I need can you help me please whatever you definitely like nearly need to stop now because that's a huge piece even in the house little things I remember Mammy said it to me years ago will you stop worrying about the house like the super clean all you, you can't do that you literally have to come in the front door at night if you're after putting in a full day or whatever and step over the gear bags mm. and step over the mess and if things need to be washed for tomorrow wash them but don't worry about the other piece because you'll kill yourself you can't it's not possible to keep it all right and I know I talk about food and proper dinners and all of that but you have to simplify it as much as you can and sometimes if the lads don't have a proper dinner or things aren't done to whatever you have to go a little bit easier on yourself and say listen okay I, I can pull back a little here the other thing is, and we spoke about this this morning because there's a wonderful woman after coming into my world again to mentor. So, like, we never know it all. We never. I don't care if, like, we're 90 or 100, there are still things to learn. But this woman is a really strong woman. And she's after giving me two or three good kick up, kicks up the backside in the last couple of weeks since she came in in relation to different things I need to do and different areas I need to grow in and get stronger in or whatever. Turn around and take the kicks in the arse, literally. So excuse the word or whatever. Mm, mm. Because when you do, you're learning. And you never know it all. And if you can, if somebody like that can mentor you and you're doing something wrong, if you listen and you learn and you don't take the criticism to heart totally, you've a really good chance of progressing. But if somebody gives you advice, especially in the early days, because this is really hard in the early days because it's your little baby and it's your wonderful little yeah. whatever business and you think you've it all done and all thought about, like don't take things to heart. If somebody criticises something, most of the time it's for the good of what you're doing. Walk away and listen, walk away and just... Take time out and think to yourself and say, what can I take from that now that I can actually use? I can put that bit aside. Yeah, OK, I didn't like that, but I can use the other bit because most of the time it's all very relevant. It's very interesting advice. Does the ambition ever stop? I mean, are you constantly ambitious? I mean, Marita was very successful now. Are you looking to the next phase of oh, Marita? Oh, Fran, I have so much ambition. It's literally, I have so many things, like the hours in the day are not long enough. I know I'm doing the one-to-ones at the minute, but I need to take myself out of, and I only, only do that maybe two days a week because there's so many other things that I need to do to mm. build and to grow and to whatever so I want to run at a million miles an hour but yeah I'm, I'm held back but yeah so if I was to give any advice to anyone Fran it's the support piece for me that's the support piece right. if there's men in our world support us the women in your world bring them in behind you and get them to support you that's huge Fascinating uh, Really really interesting <laughs> talk today Now I know even more about you Muriel uh, Lovely to see you and thanks you very too. much thanks, uh, indeed Fran. We'll take a break we're back with more in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, a big reaction uh, to uh, Muriel coming on with us this morning uh, in our Women in Business slot. One of our listeners says, Fran, Muriel made so much sense. Uh, Mothers who are stay-at-home mothers have absolutely no idea what it's like to juggle work, kids and a home. It's just so hard and draining. I feel I've lost out on my kids growing up uh, so much with working and rushing with them to their sports, etc. In the evenings, I would give my right arm to be a stay-at-home mum, but it's not an option financially. My husband works 
perhaps six or seven days a week. So 90% of the child rearing and housework is down to me. Sure, it's completely nuts as I should stay at home. Uh, as I say, uh, stay-at-home mothers, I am so jealous. I hear them saying that they are busy, but they haven't really got a clue, says one of our listeners. Now, we are delighted to have teamed up uh, with uh, Vodafone to promote their high digital initiative. Do you want to know how you can learn online skills for everyday life? Well, Vodafone Foundation, in partnership with Alone, they've created an online skills training for older people and the training I believe is available online at highdigital.ie or via in-person classes as well and uh, with the right support you don't have to be scared of technology and you can embrace it. Here's Shay. Here's an online safety tip brought to you by High Digital. Free online skills for everyday life supported by Vodafone Foundation in partnership with Alone. When using the internet, you should be mindful of scams and frauds. Scams are when someone tries to trick you. A fraud is when someone tries to steal from you. These dangers come in many forms. Common ones include messages pretending to be from tech support, requiring personal information from you, social and romance scams, asking for financial aid and grandparent scams where scammers may impersonate a loved one in distress requesting money scams and frauds try to exploit our personal nature of gaining through an opportunity or avoiding a loss or wanting to help others be aware of potential scams and frauds if you would like to learn more about how to identify these visit highdigital.ie or call 1-800-20-3030 for more information Brought to you by Vodafone Foundation and alone. Thanks, Shay. Uh, 083 311 Now, the pressure on services in Ross Grey has been highlighted in recent weeks. It's not just uh, GP and dental services, but as we know, there was a big announcement made last May under the National Development Plan that uh, the Dean Maxwell would be refurbished, redeveloped, and Mount Carmel would also be taken over to add to the bed count in North Tipperary. It was announced a great aplomb at the time but what has happened since well Donica has made contact with us and he joins now Donica good morning to you good morning Fran how are you I'm very well indeed and thank you for coming on with us today you're a regular visitor to the Dean Maxwell how are you feeling about uh, the Dean Maxwell at this point Donica yeah well obviously the, the Dean Maxwell is a, is a great great place uh, a great home for a number of people in Ross Grey and I suppose a bit of background to people who might not familiar with it. It's, it's a nursing home in Ross Grey. It's run by the HSE. It's located beside uh, St. Cronin's Catholic Church in the centre of town and actually this year celebrates 50 years of its existence. Um, you know, the residents are like one big happy family. Mm. Uh, I, I say a visit there It's a long-stay long facility, yeah. isn't it, Dolica? Yeah. It's a long-stay yeah. facility. Yeah, there are 20, 20 long-stay beds, uh, two palliative care beds and uh, five uh, respite beds. Um, and of course, you know, the team of staff there as well who are wonderfully dedicated. They're extremely kind and caring and, and part of that residence family. But as you say, there's a plan and it's not in the short term because they don't want to worry anybody on duty, but mm. that plan will ultimately see the Dean Maxwell close as a nursing home and instead have a facility providing day, short stay and respite care. And I suppose the question that I have is where do the long stay residents go? Because there are 
three other nursing homes in the town, uh, but each, to my knowledge, has a waiting list. And it just seems peculiar that we are likely to lose about a fifth of our long-stay bed capacity in the town. That's the 20 long-stay beds, the two palliative care beds, when we already have waiting lists, um, you know, with the other nursing homes. And there's a growing older population. You know, the census in 2016 and 2022 saw an increase of over 10% of people over 65 years of age in Ross Grey. Um, and, you know, I think it's, you know, it's important to say it's more than just talk about beds. You know, this is people's home. Um, some residents have been there for years and say they're like one big happy family. Yeah. They have their, their favourite chairs, their favourite place to sit, their, their special place, dining room table where they sit beside the same uh, fellow residents, the same friends and neighbours they've known for many years. And I just think the idea of, of residents at some point down the line being scattered to different places could become an issue for their continued health and well-being, certainly for some. And, you know, we, you know, we've heard many times that moving home is a, one of the most stressful things we can do in life. And, uh, and I think, you know, particularly in this situation as well, I think if people have to move to a new location, then they should move together to one single new location in the town uh, with the same staff who are, who are part of their family and who know and care for them so well. You know, so even if the surroundings are different, because I know there are issues with the Dean Maxwell, yeah. uh, the facility as it stands in terms of the property itself. But... But it's important that if they have to move to a new location that it isn't in, in town, that they move together as one family unit, so to speak, and that they have the same familiar faces around them, both in terms of residents and in terms of staff. Um, and that, that stays the same. So and, and that would I be guess. the ideal. But have you any solace from that announcement that substantial investment in the National Development Plan um, will be there to purchase the Mount Carmel site, for example, and uh, to, to develop Dean Maxwell? Well, I, I think the D Maxwell is going to be, you know, the plan for D Maxwell is day, short stay, and rest by care. You know, that doesn't, I think, pr- resolve the problem of the, the 20 people who are there at the moment who are long stay residents, you know. And I suppose buying another nursing home in the town that already exists doesn't actually add any additional capacity or fix the problem of changing what the Dean Maxwell does. You know, the people who are in the Dean Maxwell who are accessing long-stay care will need long-stay care into the future. Um, you know, and it's important that people can continue to live in their own hometown, that they can have regular visits from family and friends who can just pop by on a whim and not have to schedule it because they have to do a round trip to, to Nina, which could take up to an hour, because that's one of the suggestions as well, that people could perhaps go to Nina, but, which I think is completely uh, unrealistic. And, of course, people also have their family GP that they've known um, over the years who is also in Ross Grey. And so, you know, if they have to move beyond Ross Grey, then they lose access to that family GP as well. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. As long as I'm doing this job, Donalka, Dean Maxwell, it comes up in the news, it sort of, you know, fades away for a little while and then it comes back uh, again. But inevitably, there's not much happening, I suppose. Is that your great concern? Well, I, I think, look, at the moment, the Dean Maxwell, uh, from from my understanding of it, and you can, this is all accessible online, you know, its HICWA registration is uh, is there for another two years. Yeah. Um, so to my mind, we have two years to find a new facility 
um, in uh, and or to build a new facility in town um, that is whether whether it's adjacent to a nursing home that may be bought or whether it's another parcel of land in Ross Grey for example we know that the new fancy new health centre mm. after being built in Ross Grey but there's an old centre uh, that is still there and you know I'm not quite sure what the plan is for that uh, property but perhaps that could be repurposed but you know we just need to start planning now because I think there's not much point jumping up and down in, in six months time or a year's time when the decision is taken to start winding down the Dean Maxwell as a long-stay facility. We need to start planning now. And as I said earlier on, you know, this year uh, the Dean Maxwell celebrates 50 years and, you know, you know, we need to think of the next 50 years and what the plan is for that. And, you know, none of us knows when we may need a, a nursing home bed mm-hmm. down the line. And I think we'd all want to be able to stay in our own locality uh, where we can, you know, go for walk up Rosemary Square or down the Mall or up Main Street and meet people that we've known all our years. Yeah, and the cynic in me, <laughs> I feel obliged to say, like two years is a very short time in which to do any of what what you're speaking about. I mean, that must concern you. Well, of course it does concern me. And I mean, you know, look, that's, I say the Hickler registration can be renewed um, in two years' time. It's something that is, is, is renewed every three years. But, you know, certainly there is a window of opportunity now. Uh, you know, we have... Um, you know, my understanding is last year there was a 1.2 billion surplus uh, in the economy in terms of the tax receipts. You know, uh, Nina recently got 19 million for its new nursing home there. And I suppose my question is why isn't Ross Gray getting uh, its fair share of the cash that's out there? And, you know, instead of buying another nursing home that already exists in the town or potentially buying it, uh, why aren't we building a new nursing home that not only maintains current long-stay bed capacity that we have, but that actually increases it for future needs that we might have? Of course, and, and you know, that, that project you're making reference to there in Nina at the moment, all finished, all all equipment there, and they can't find staff for it. Well, you know, isn't it, you know, you know, that's just, uh, you know, to my mind, that's somebody in, in up in the upper echelons of the HSE can can change that decision uh, and they can, uh, you know, uh, relax the recruitment embargo that's there. You know, I'd, I'd love to have that problem in Ross Grey, can I say, that we would have a facility that's newly built and, and that is there and is, is, you know, is just a matter of finding that the, or somebody saying, OK, we will recruit additional staff. But, you know, you know, uh, there are staff... At the Dean Maxwell in Ross Grey at the moment and uh, you know if you were to you know, I'm sure with the same number of beds the same number of staff could transfer over you know but I mean that's you know that's way down the line I think now we just need to start planning and have a discussion around it. All right well you've kicked it off today Donalka and we appreciate it and my best to you and your family thank you very much indeed thank you that's all. thank you for morning to you 1800 Join the conversation in Tipperary Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Staff in the Children's Arc at uh, University Hospital Limerick have launched a new initiative to promote a culture of inclusivity by wearing the HSE Rainbow Badge. 
Now, my understanding is that the rainbow badge is a visual symbol identifying its wearer as somebody, an LGBTQI plus person, can feel comfortable talking to about issues relating to sexuality and gender uh, identity. It also shows that the wearer is there to listen without judgment and signpost to further supports if needed. But a similar initiative in the UK was scrapped in recent weeks as part of a wider pushback against LGBTQ inclusion and especially trans inclusion programmes. Well, Martin was in touch with us about this and joins me now. Martin, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. Uh, just the other day, Wednesday, the 21st, my wife and I opened the internet and the HSE logo came up and uh, also the rainbow badge. Uh, and about it, the, it, the first sentence was, we marked the launch of the rainbow badge in the paediatrics department of UHL. This badge is all about showing inclusivity to our young patients and encouraging open conversations about sexuality with our staff members team at UHL. Now, that to me is a minefield, uh, France. Why, Martin? Because why would they start in the paediatrics for a start? Why would they start with children? Well, there, there's children who may be confused about their sexuality and may no. have questions no. to ask. And if somebody is wearing this badge, you know, maybe it's it's making it easy no. on them to ask these questions. Is that you don't believe that, Martin? I can. Well, I that. don't. I don't because I mean, I mean, another thing is, it's a minefield because badges, badges don't necessarily mean all they say. Another thing is, they are strangers as well. I mean, you, I'm oh, I'm 72 years of age, and I have grandchildren, but at the same time, Fran, I remember being told, oh, don't talk to strangers. But you're sending your children or grandchildren into a hospital, and they're discussing sexuality or whatever with young children. And which way is the discussion going? Is it going to go one way or the other? Yeah, my understanding about it is, though, it's just to give a listening ear. It's not to give advice, but to point them in the way yeah. of services and maybe something. At least that's my understanding of it, Martin. I don't know. I don't know. But you're concerned. You then, know, but I, my, I also feel that they're going into a hospital to get better from illness and not to discuss sex or get sexual instruction from anyone. And I've seen, I've also seen on the... You you talked about the NHS. Mm. Doctors doctors advised from the NHS on the day after I swore, on the Thursday that it hadn't helped the health care of children. It caused confusion with the staff, religious also, when the different religions had different uh, um, theories about sexual matters. It also caused problems with the staff. Now, I don't think every nurse wants to discuss sexuality with children either. But is is it not their choice? I mean, they're not forced into wearing this. Badge, oh, I'm not they? saying they're, yeah. they're forced yeah. to do it. Yeah. But the fact is, I mean, how do how, how do I know that the, the training they get is, is, is proper? And another thing is, I mean, we're not all Catholics now either. Are the, the not, I don't mind what religion the people are. Mm. But they do have different uh, theories about about sexuality. Yeah, my, my my understanding as well is that the HSE are providing yeah. training for staff who are interested yeah. in this yeah. as well. Yeah. Does does that make you feel any better? Yeah. No. 
Well, it does in a way, but I mean, they also, I know we're not as big in this country, but only, if this is only beginning in Limerick, but it actually cost the NHS in England a lot, a lot of money. Hmm. Between, um, you know, administration, staff, training, and you also have, but um, there's been a huge amount of, um, we'd say, pushback about this this scheme as well. There is, yeah, because you know? I, I, I had a look online to see what the feeling was about it, and yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people, well, they're making a very valid point by saying, I suppose, there's a lot of uh, bigger issues with the UHL at the moment with, with the yeah. amount of people oh, on trolleys exactly, and, yeah. uh, and yeah. the like. But, uh, I mean, also, um, I'd say the NHS is the only one, uh, we're the same, have, we have problems with... Um, already with our budgets. But if, I'll read a tiny bit here on, on about, about it says on the NHS website, this scheme is focusing on the demands of one group. It demands a change that leads to confusion which could be harmful to patients. That's just one doctor to that. Now, there's a whole heap of stuff about about uh, sexuality which you wouldn't go into. Mm. You know, but I, I, to my mind, for our, our our idea or our theory about it is that we certainly don't agree with it. And it's also, we, I wouldn't like to see it spreading to all the hospitals, you know. And is that is that your fear? Is that your fear about this? That's a fear, yeah. It's also a fear because I think, I mean, if, if sexual education is in schools, and also children also, friend, are only children for a very short time. Hmm. And I don't know whether you have children or not, but well, they're grown I, up. They're grown up at this point for a short yeah. time, and that's all. That's re- and it's even shorter now than it was. So, you know? so have you concerns as well about sexual education in in the classroom then as well, Mark? No, no, no. I don't believe if personal people are trained properly to teach uh, sexual education, have nurses the time really either. I was in hospital before Christmas in Limerick, and nurses had not time to say hello to you. Not to mention discuss your sexuality. Not to mention dis- uh, uh, discussing other things. They were so busy medically. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, um, do par- parents also come into this? Do they want their children involved in this? It seems to be that it's encouraging a kind of a safe place for the kids, maybe if they feel they can't discuss it somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So what what does that mean to you? Does that mean to say well, that if they, mean, can't, if they can't talk about me? it at home? I, mean, I have a two-year-old grandchild and I have a, a nine-year-old grandchild and I think there's there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference as to how you, you're going to approach I, I, both of them, you know? Yeah. What what, uh, what would happen, Martin, do you think? I mean, if, if, you know, one of your grandchildren decided that they were confused sexually or something like that and... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, LGBTQ or, what, or whatever. Yeah, um, how, yeah. how would you deal with that? How, how would you... Well, no, but... Well, first of all, I mean, before you, I talk about if they were confused about their, their sex, I mean, I wouldn't even discuss sexuality with my grandchildren without without talking to my, my son and daughter-in-law and all everyone else. Mm. But if they were... I also think they probably talked to their parents first, I'd hope. But if they came to me, I mean, if someone said to me, just for instance, I, I think I'm gay. I I wouldn't have. I don't think I'd have a major problem with that, friend. Mm, yeah, yeah. And and where, is your problem with it then that you know in in an unsupervised situation you're yeah, concerned about advice that might be given? Is that I don't think is the place yeah. for 
A paediatric unit is not the place. For, for strange people. I mean, the problem with staff now in, in hospitals, and I saw it myself, they change so often. Mm. You could have a locum nurse in today for a week, two days. I was in hospital for a couple of weeks. Mm. And I, I don't know many people I met, but what I'm saying is the children wouldn't even be talk, mightn't be talking to the same person for two, two days or an hour or three days. You know what I mean? And are you also afraid that somebody might have an agenda as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, when you when you decide to go in and, and teach children, you might have an agenda. You might. I mean, every, every oh God help for, to say the words, but the people who 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 I say uh, would uh, do any harm to children, they have an agenda as well. You know, they don't have to be tramps on the streets or. All fellas down the road, like we used to talk about. Funny enough, a lot of our listeners has picked up on what you said about children's childhood being a short yeah. time. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. agreeing yeah. with you on that, and they should be allowed yeah. to have that that time. But if yeah. if they are, my only concern is if they are confused about whatever. Yeah. They, they yeah. should have a safe place somewhere, I suppose. Mark. Oh, I think if certain if certain individuals are confused, like I say to you, if I have a, I'm only theorizing, but if I don't, I don't have this anymore. But if I have a 15 year old boy comes to me and says, "Dad, I think I'm gay." Yeah. Well, I'm going to try and help him. Yeah, of course. Let's be honest course, about sure. it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, where do you go with a four-year-old? A four-year-old could tell you tomorrow I want to be a teddy bear, or they could tell you they want to be a giant. Yeah, and 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 what are you saying to me that they're they're just being children, is it? And the whole thing is they're children and leave it at that and let hospitals do hospital work and forget about all that badges and all the rest of it and the cost of staff and and, and um, administration and the, it must cost the NHS have cut it Scotland and Wales, I don't know what they're doing. Mm. Why are we bringing in something? Is it really necessary at all? You know? And do you think it's part of this woke culture that we're all yeah, sort of... Yeah, I think it is part. It must be something like that. I mean, who was the brain that got the idea to do it? Well, I, I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm trying to read through it here um, as quickly as I can, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one for sure. Um, it's a wonder if it hasn't gotten more publicity, in fact. That's just what I'm thinking, and we saw for the first time on Wednesday morning, the first thing that came up on, on, the, on Google was NHS and the badges and about the paediatric unit. And we, we just said, where's this from? But yeah. then you look, if you look then at the, the website across and look at the NHS and Scotland and Wales, and then strange the day after that the, the NHS were cutting back on all this, and they were getting rid of it. What, what, uh, yes, we're, we're, yes, we're starting it in Limerick and making it out to be a great thing. Can I put a couple of lines to you, Martin? You They're can, saying many can. many people still feel afraid to disclose their sexual or gender identity. Being, right, a, being right. unable to do so often increases their risk of physical and mental health problems. At the yes. Children's Ark, we want to provide a safe place where young people using our service feel comfortable yeah. discussing any issue relating to their yeah. sexuality. Yeah. No. Do you, you, do you see anything in that at all? No? Well, I do see, I, I tell you one thing, I consider my mental health problems, um, I could say, I, 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 could, I could say 
where I live, out in the country, mental health problems could be caused more by drugs than by the, by, by sexuality problems. That's my opinion. Uh, now, I don't yeah. know anything about... I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, but but um, I can't... I couldn't answer the question about sexuality, but... It, I mean, it's possible it causes some mental health problems. But I do know personally in my own in my own area, sexual drugs are more of a problem. You know? Yeah, I'm sure you're like me in a lot of ways. I, I'm just glad my kids are grown up at this point because yeah, mine it's, are it's, too. A, it's a yeah. difficult world out there, isn't it? It is, yeah, but are we going to make it more complicated and more difficult and more costly for no reason, you know? And the kind of confusion that's out there now, and they, you know, talk about gender, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah all yeah, of this yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, what, yeah. what are you making of that? What, what are you? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's really funny. It's funny about gender because it's very funny. You talk about. I heard I, there was some TD our minister said on television. There's nine genders. Mm. Okay. Now that to me, I mean. I, she, she might as well, I, I don't know what that means. I don't even know what well, it the, means. Well, some people claim there's 70 or there's 80 and 90. Yeah, uh, well, I say you could, you could some, some people say there's a million, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's gone to the stage where you get crazy sort of answers to that question. You know. It, 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 God it, help us. I, mean, I just said it. I saw on some American ad where, on American uh, website, where a, a teacher came out, a young teacher, and said, uh, a young man, or at least it looked like a man, said to the children, am I a man or a woman? God help us, uh, Fran, is it gone to that? You know? And you, you think it is, obviously. You think... Uh... I think it is. Well, it, it, <laughs> I mean, if if if, the, if, if Leo Radker can't answer the question, what is a woman? You know? Mm. And and what about the referendum coming up and all of that? Have you thought well, about that, Martin? Be, I'll be a no-no referendum for me because there's a couple of words come into it that to me are, apart from, they're not legal for a start and they're only, they're very iffy. The likes of the word uh, for cares, we have um, the word... Um, strive. strive. Yeah, we will strive, strive yeah. to help you. I mean, we, have a, we had a child who was in a wheelchair I mean, strive is a word. I could strive to, 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 you know, climb Mount Everest tomorrow, and so could you, Fran, and we wouldn't do it. And the government have strived, have supposedly strived to help all the carers. They haven't done very well. And the other word to me, the marriage one about... Durable relationships, is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Durable to me is like, a, it's like a, it's a bit like a, some sort of glue you'd buy. Is that durable <laughs> or is it not? Or is the Wellington durable, you know? Have you a durable relationship, Martin? And we, we could be broke up tomorrow. <laughs> is that durable, Frank? Fred? Are, you, are you in a durable relationship, Martin, do you think? I'm not in a durable relationship. No, no, we're married, but we don't. We fight every day. Martin, you made me laugh at you. Durable is a word. I I swear to God, Fran, that wouldn't go to any court. Yeah, well, well, it's it's the courts will decide decide it. What the word durable means. Yeah, well, there's all sorts of theories on it at the moment. Martin, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your time this morning. Look look after yourself, Martin. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Bye bye to you now. Bye bye. That's uh, Martin, and that brings the show to an end for today. Leanne produced Sally, looks after our content. Steve is on the way with the time tunnel. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye.
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 